Hey, Story Geeks, you call him Dr. Jones. On today's show, we're digging deeper into Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. If you're listening to the audio version, welcome to How Stories Work. And if you're watching the video, welcome to the Story Geek Show, officially part of the Orange Grove 55 Network. As just about always with the Story Geek Show and How Stories Work, this show will be spoiler-filled. If you haven't seen Temple of Doom yet, I'm not sure we can be friends. So there is that. <laughs> but hopefully you've seen it and you're and you're uh, willing to listen along here. Also, as a quick note, after I finish recording with the OG crew here, I'll also be recording a separate House Stories work segment about what works and maybe doesn't work about the storytelling in Temple of Doom. So check that out on House Stories Work, um, either on the YouTube channel or if you're listening to the podcast, just listen to the end of this particular show and it'll be there. Um, in the meantime, let me introduce uh, my fellow co-hosts on the OG55 channel. We'll start with the the namesake of the channel himself, <laughs> Mr. OG55. How are you doing, OG? I am doing fantastic. Jay, thanks for having me on Story Geek. Talk a little Indiana Jones today. It'll be a good time. Looking forward to it, brother. Yeah, as always. Now, now uh, you said you just watched Temple of Doom, so you're fresh. I I'm fresh, fresh out. I, I watched it yesterday, um, just oh, to kind of awesome. like yeah just to kind of like refresh myself a little bit before today's show and uh love this movie love this movie og's in here doing the work doing the work, work. Um, tell the folks where they can find you besides you find this right, youtube channel yeah exactly you find me right here on orange grove 55 youtube you can also find me on twitter which is at orange grove 55 we're talking all kinds of things i talk a lot about theme parks but I also dip into like you know movie stuff studio stuff all kinds of stuff, pop culture whatever so check me out on twitter if you can Toss in a little black pink here and there. You know what I'm saying? A little black <laughs> pink in there as well. You know, I'm a new fan, yeah. you know? Digging that, right, digging right. that. <laughs> I love it. I love it. By the way, that sound effect is one of my favorite sound effects. I was just playing that for my wife this morning because it was on a it was on a re Instagram reel. And we're like, that's so cool. What? How is that so cool? Oh, <laughs> that's awesome. That's it awesome. <laughs> it is. There it is. So good. And uh, so thanks but, for joining but, us, OG. Uh, Funny, funny thing about that about that little jingle though, it's actually my my text alert as well. So every time he does it, look at my phone. <laughs> no way, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah, it would never work for me because my my I'm always on uh, only vibrate. I never have a sound play on my phone for whatever reason. So it, I, I can't get any cool things like that. Uh, also joining us today, uh, the we what we call him last week, the archaeologist. We call him. We can call him this week the. Uh, the expert in the occult. We can call him the lawyer of lawyers. We can call him producer Dre. Mr. Vashkai is in the house. How you doing, Dre? Well, I do appreciate it. Thank you so much for the uh, <laughs> for the intro. Uh, as Ramsey would say, better than I deserve. That's that's for sure, right there. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, it's it's been it's been quite an incredible day, right there. I was supposed to watch Temple of Doom along with OG Fifty Five to brush up myself, but. Unfortunately, got up, uh, caught up with a couple of things that came up uh, spontaneously. So, well, here we are. I haven't brushed up on it quite as uh, much as I would have liked to, but I think I have some fun stories for you and some some interesting little tidbits that we can include here on this discussion. So, should be a fascinating time. If anybody wants to go ahead and follow me on Twitter, you can go do so right down there at Vash Sky. Just go ahead and type it in, and it should pop up for as Christine. Wastelines, McCarthy used to say, for all the robust discussion right there. And if you want to see me, well, it's going to be on the channel you're watching right now, Orange Grove 55. We have some amazing shows on this network, including the one you're watching right now, hosted by the amazing Jay Shear, right up there. Uh, Story Geeks with Jay, where we talk about the stories that impact our lives. Right now, we're talking about 
all kinds of stuff on Indiana Jones, yes, um, yes. as one could imagine, in Bleed Up to Dial of Destiny, so that would be a lot of fun right there. The original flavor, Orange Go 55, and the original Orange Nerd right there, up top, where we talk about everything related to the Walt Disney Company. C-Suite, executives, entertainment media, all that good stuff. We have our uh, Citrus Corner, with hosted by the amazing Citrus George, talking about all things Walt Disney World news and uh, Walt Disney World related uh, stories and so forth and my own show Freshly Squeezed your source for juice news and info squeezed fresh right from the Grove now now uh, Dre I wanted to ask you is uh, Christine Wastelines McCarthy in a very robust unemployment line right now <laughs> <laughs> no, well, actually, she's not. She's still an advisor, and she'll oh, get her true. golden parachute. Don't even worry about OG. Yeah. She'll be she's just good. fine. She's yeah. good. Yeah, she'll be Can't fine. Can't say the same about Todd Newton, though. That's a, that's a whole different story right there. But <laughs> Ooh, I don't know <laughs> we'll if I see. heard that news. I don't know if I heard mm, that news. Yeah, Latondra Newton. I'll have to listen to Orange Nerd or uh, any one of these other amazing podcasts that you guys put together and fill myself in. Um, okay. Thank you guys for joining me. Dre uh, joined me last week to talk about um, Raiders of the Lost Ark. We both raved about that. It was a fantastic podcast. Definitely go back and listen to that one if you haven't yet. Uh, it was a really good time with uh, Michael Gordon. So let's jump into this about Temple of Doom. Um, we'll start. We'll start here. Temple of Doom is different than Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's also a prequel to Raiders of the Lost Ark, even though they never wow. announced that. You have to work that out with some of the timing of everything. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Temple of Doom takes place in 1935 and Raiders takes place in 1936. And I believe Crusade takes place in 1938. But you, somebody out there can fact check me on that uh, and see if I've got the, the dates right there. But this is a, technically a prequel. So, OG, I'll start with you because Dre and I gave our we said ten out of ten for Raiders. Okay. So let me get your let me get your Raiders scale since we didn't get that last week, and then I want you to give me your uh, scale of one to ten for Temple as well. Okay, so my my Raiders would be an eight point five, pretty high, pretty high. We'll see you. We'll see you later. Have a good day. If it's not <laughs> 10, eight point five, and I would rate Temple just a little bit below that at an eight. Okay. Okay, so it's pretty, that's, that's so kind of where, where I'm at. Yeah, 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 yeah. Still pretty solid. Um, we're gonna get into some reasons why uh, it's an eight in a minute here. But Dre, what do you think? Scale of one to ten, what is Temple for you? Yeah, I think Temple of Doom. Uh, you know, had to give Raiders of the Lost Ark a ten just because, yeah. as we said before, right? It's it's an amazing film, right? Great action film, great film in general on the you know top one hundred lists. For many, many critics out there, um, I think for the general public, uh, especially those who grew up in that time period and have seen the film, actually, I mean, uh, a lot of people would include in the top five. Whereas yeah. Temple of Doom doesn't quite score as highly, uh, neither in public sentiment or when, you know, uh, comparing all of the uh, Indiana Jones films specifically. Obviously, it rates much higher than um, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, and I would imagine Tile of Destiny when it comes out, but we'll see. We'll see. The reviews still are uh, flooding in as we speak it's, right there. Th that's actually officially fresh right now on Rotten Tomatoes. It's gotten up quite oh, a bit. Oh, really? It's like 60-something percent now, which is still, you know, but it's gone up. Yeah, it's, it's officially fresh now. Hmm. I see. Yeah. I see. Well, I think still Temple of Doom. Got to hold oh, its yeah. own right there. I'm sure. um, and, you know, I, look, some of those... 
critiques and so forth, I'll have to acknowledge, and we'll, I'll get into more in depth as we go along here, obviously, in this whole thing, but I, I, I you know, yeah, I'm gonna have to go 8, 8.5, somewhere, somewhere around there, mm. you know, it's not, doesn't quite reach the heights that, uh, that, that Raiders of the Lost Ark does, uh, for me personally, um, yeah, if I had to decide on one, all right, we'll we'll go we'll go eight point five. We'll go eight point five right there, you know, because nice. it's still it's still very high. It just it just has some issues. Heck, uh, maybe my score might change while we're discussing it. We'll see. <laughs> you never know. You never know where we're gonna go with this. I think I'll probably be the highest one on this um, particular podcast. That is not to say that the movie does not have problems, and we will talk about that in just a few questions because it's going to come up pretty quick here. Um, but for me. I'm still giving it a nine despite the problems that it does have. So uh, we'll talk about why that is like what the problems are and all that good stuff as we move through this, but I'm going to give it a solid nine predominantly because of the character of Indiana Jones in temple of doom, I think maintains a very, very high standard, um, right. which is, uh, which is fantastic to see. So let me ask you this question. I'll start with you this time, Dre. Um, I think if you were to go and see, I, I we didn't have this experience because we were all too young. I think sure. to go see this in the theater. Um, by the way, some of the people I've listened to online saw this movie way too young in the theater. Their parents <laughs> did not know what to expect, and they took them in to see it. Um, uh, and we'll talk about that as well. I'm sure, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure we will. Um, my parents didn't let me watch this for a long time, so I watched this on the. This was my third Indiana Jones film because I, my parents would not let me watch it for a really long time. Um, uh, fun fact too, by the way, and this, 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 I'll just throw it out there now, uh, Indiana Jones and the temple of doom is one of the primary reasons that we have a PG 13 rating for the MPAA. Um, because essentially what happened was the MPAA looked at Indiana Jones, the temple of doom, and they said, this seems like it should, it can't be rated R but it seems like it should be rated R and Steven mm -hmm. Spielberg actually suggested to the MPAA that they have another rating. And they said, that's a good idea. How about PG 13? And then of course now we have, we have that. So technically if you go look up uh, temple of doom right now, it'll have a PG rating because they have not gone back. They didn't go back and change them. So it's kind of interesting. But what were you going to say, Dre? Well, a lot of people uh, accused uh, Steven Spielberg of being a little bit, maybe a little bit too cozy, maybe maybe having a little bit too much influence over the MPAA, and that's how they got their rating of <laughs> PG, like because <laughs> yeah. uh, Steven Spielberg, after all. And, uh, I can understand that. I mean, are we to believe that if this movie was made by anybody else, it would have that PG rating? That we, there would be enough pull there in Hollywood to pull that to pull that off? I'm yeah. not so sure right there. No. So you had to have something in between this and Gremlins biggest contributing factors for why we have the pg-13 rating or uh as they uh i guess said at the time kid adult films or whatever you yeah. know it's just like <laughs> mm, it's just you know it's something in the middle you know i will i will say this though it, it this is my personal op opinion on on the matter but I, I actually think temple of doom in terms of the title is the best title of the whole series actually i really like indiana jones and the temple of doom the title it's a compared great to title. all the other yeah it's a great name you know yeah Best name of, of all of them, I think. And yeah, you could will... be right. And we're going to get into this, but it is also for other works that appear outside of the filmography. It is also like a really popular use of 
temple of is used multiple right. times in other in other kinds of attractions and things so that, speaking of be... the title by the way yeah share my screen there oh gee, yeah yeah I just got real fast uh look at that brilliant way that the brilliant. title is revealed right here right. you know with willie scott brilliant. and her performance right here we'll get into the intro of course but i yeah. just think that is freaking awesome i always thought that was old school movie magic right there i was like wow how they do that you know back in the day and <laughs> Well, you know, it's easy to do it now, but I just think that's great. That's just fantastic, and uh, it really amps up the amps up the the sense of adventure. And I will agree with you, OG. Great, great title. Yeah, and for anybody listening in, what we're looking at right now is the very opening of the film when Willie has come out to sing, and the Indiana Jones logo and type font underneath that says Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom is behind Willie, but in front of her background dancers, and it is phenomenal you're right dre it is a great introduction here um but let's let's get into this question if you it's a perfect segue if you if you were to walk in and sit in a theater and this movie starts now we've seen the title the title is up there on the screen but this is a this is a different opening for sure as as we just open up into this basically a a a musical a musical number so i'm wondering dre how do you how do you feel seeing this opening and then how do you compare it to the other openings in the Indiana Jones franchise? How does this hold up? Cause it, to me, it feels like the most different opening that we've seen. It absolutely is the most different opening that we've ever seen. That is for sure. I mean, it's, 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 you know, it's, I, I don't know if it's old school, new school. I don't know <laughs> like where, you know, George is wild with his throwbacks and callbacks to uh, the films that he, he saw gr- growing up. But um, it's it's I don't know it's definitely got that old school maybe Casablanca kind of right. feel to it or something mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying um, yeah. and I, I, I it, it's it's definitely different I will say this though I think it works and I think it works quite well I would actually rate this intro um, the whole entire intro pre- piece from uh, Club Obi Wan and all that. I don't know. I mean, Raiders has its intro. It just can't be topped. It's one of the best intros for any movie ever. It's also best yeah. one of the, as we discussed uh, last week there, Jay, one of the best character intros that we've ever seen, right? To, to establish the character of Indiana Jones and so forth, all that. Um, this one is over-the-top madness. And I would have to say that I think it's the second best one. Um, mm. I'm, not nece- I'm not really a fan of how Crystal Skull... Or even for that matter, how a Last Crusade opened. We'll get into that when we get into the Last Crusade talk and why I'm I'm not like super fond of it. I actually like it, uh, Temple of Doom's intro quite a bit. It's just so different, it's just so unique. It yeah. sets a very interesting tone. Starts off in Shanghai, which I guess they were gonna have um, like a, like a, 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 an intro starting off in Shanghai for the last picture, which is interesting. Um, and then they adapted those ideas for this club obi-wan great reference right and he just goes indy goes bananas in this whole thing (laughs) right he starts off suave and cool right he's got the white jacket on uh which is a great callback to uh james bond a character that he was uh, very much um 
uh, based off of, right? But it's got the cool jacket. It's got the swagger. Sits down. He's all cool, collected. And you're thinking, oh, okay, whatever he gets into, he'll handle it like James Bond, cool and collected, right? Uh, no, he just goes <laughs> off and just destroys everything, and it's amazing. <laughs> just, I mean, he's rough and tumble this whole entire time. A whole big. Uh, gong, you know, spins out, oh, you man. know, and takes Willie, and they 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 dodge the machine gun fire. This thing is awesome. This thing is great. So I don't know. I really love it. And if Raiders intro didn't exist, this might be the best one. Well, and and you know the great thing about this intro is that yeah, it's 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 not he's not in his archaeologist kind of um, environment, right? Right. He's not exploring some temple or whatever. He's in a completely different environment. But the energy, though, in this opening is is every bit Indiana Jones. Like like you were talking about, Dre, that bombastic thing with the gong rolling and the machine gun <laughs> fire. It goes big. But it does it in a different way. I think it's really creative. I really enjoy, I really enjoy the intro. I really do. I think it, I think it was done in a way that, that feels like Indiana Jones, but it's different enough. I think it would be kind of boring uh or kind of stale to kind of open this movie with him searching through a, a temple or a cave or something i think this was a really creative way to sort of introduce this film and i think they handled it beautifully absolutely beautifully and i i'm sorry willie's hilarious i know some people kind of get annoyed with her because she's like scared of everything but <laughs> this is so good <laughs> this is so good and the other thing that's really important i think about this scene is it sort of sets up the um the dynamics between these two characters and yeah we'll get into that in a little bit with with some of these other uh, topics we're going to be discussing today, but you really see the kind of like this masculine uh, guy in Indiana Jones and how he sort of handles females, which I think is very, very important to his character. So overall, get, love this intro. There's yeah. a, and there's a question uh, later on that there we is, get yeah. into his, his, his kind yeah. of thing with females. But look, I, starting off here, Willie is a star in Shanghai and she's been pampered her pr pretty much entire life after she leaves what what is her what is her home state uh it's not Kansas it's it's some kind of midwest oh, yeah. state right it is uh, yeah almost almost like a Marilyn Monroe type type background and she yeah. makes her, her way to Hollywood in this case makes her way to Shanghai and been pampered her entire life what would a person like that you know, how would she react in all of these situations in the film? <laughs> right. I think it's pretty accurate. And I don't think, um, I believe it's Kate. Uh, what was her name again? Capshaw. Uh, yep. Kate Capshaw. Uh, and isn't she married? Steven Spielberg's wife. Yeah. 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 Steven met on okay. this, on this movie. Yeah. Kate Capshaw. I, I, I do apologize. Yeah. They, they met on this movie, married after this movie. Steven Spielberg and George Lucas were going through a divorce, which impacts a lot of what we actually see on screen. Very interesting right here. Uh, but, you know, she's not given the greatest part, obviously, but she handles it really, really well. Right. Um, now, you know, she screams a whole lot. <laughs> You're going to have that screen em em emblazoned in your brain. You will never be able not to hear that scream. However, um, I think with what she's given... I think she actually does it really, really phenomenally. And yeah. a lot of people don't give her credit for that, I don't think. No, they have chemistry. These two have chemistry throughout the whole film. The, yeah. the whole film. Really well done. Yeah. And I couldn't agree with you guys more. I think that this intro is phenomenal. I love the intro. I love that we're not going back and looking for an artifact to start out, but the artifact has already been found. And now we're seeing how uh, Indiana Jones has to deal with some of the people that he's working for. 
Um, and note too that you can see why Indiana Jones is so skeptical of doing work for private investors later on in life because right. the first private investor that he works for, who he thinks he's giving the artifact back to the people who should have it, and yet they're, he, they're trying to screw him over this whole time. So there's some, right. there's some intricate details here of how... And this is one thing that I think that George Lucas is really good at. George Lucas... He does, like you said earlier, Dre, he is a wild boy. But one of the things that he's awesome at is that he knows his characters and he has for sure has a book of information about what has gone on in his characters' lives and Absolutely. knows exactly how to pull from that. Um, he's just really amazing at that. So this scene is amazing. I love the part where his buddy, who's backing him up in the club, um, gets shot and, and, and he's holding him as he's dying and he goes... Between the two of us, Indy, I'm going on the next adventure into the great beyond first. And that was just a cool moment where, like, the yeah. stakes are high. We know what we know that this is an intense situation. Um, and the way that it plays out, I think the next question, the se my segue into the next question is that there's a lot of silliness in Temple of Doom. But in my opinion, we don't see any of that. We don't go too far with that silliness in any of this first portion of it. This still feels like it's an adventure film that hasn't gone into cartoon world yet. Um, now, we might go into cartoon world in a bit as we like, transition to this next question. But in this opening sequence, it pushes the boundary just far enough. And in my opinion, never goes over it. Um, even when he's running behind the thing, you go, you know, it probably wouldn't fall like that. It probably wouldn't roll like that. But it's fine because this is Indiana Jones. It's funny to see the ice on the ground and and Willie's trying to look for the diamond amongst the ice. That's kind of clever. Her her attitude and the way she's behaving, I think you nailed it, Dre. This is kind of like the way that that, that kind of person would act. Um, this is a person who's dreams of stardom but has to had to go to shanghai to be able to work in the business so to speak because she's probably didn't get a job in hollywood right so um and the fact that they have the tommy guns and <laughs> the fact that they come in here and do like a gangster style uh club and very much a 1930s style big band kind of club only in in shanghai all amazing like all amazing i love it all um the introduction of short round which we're going to see in a minute here fantastic so let me transition into this question uh, Temple of Doom feels far more ludicrous, or maybe a better word is silly, compared to Raiders. Indy's got a sidekick. Willie is over the top, and as you mentioned, Dre is very screamy. Um, <laughs> but there, and there's a lot more humor actually in this yeah. sequel than there is in the first film too. It, one of the one of the definitions that I've said is it, this feels a lot more George Lucasy, <laughs> right? Like right. Um, George Lucas likes this kind of stuff. He likes to throw in a fart joke into Star Wars. Like he just he he's that kind of guy. He wants to he wants to do a lot of different kinds of things. So my question, I'll start with you on this one, OG. Sure. What works and what doesn't work about the tonal differences between Raiders and Temple for you? I think I think I actually like the tone of Temple of Doom. I think that the the silliness or the you know the quirky George Lucas stuff, it kind of offsets some pretty heavy material in this movie. I mean, you're talking about you know like there's child slaves, right? And you have you know you have a guy ripping ripping people's hearts out, like literally <laughs> ripping their hearts out. It's pretty intense stuff, and I think that the the banter between like short round and Indy and, and Willie and stuff, it lightens the mood where it needs to. And yeah. for me personally, it never goes 
too, too far. Like, and I'm not really a big, look, I, I make no bones about it. I'm not really a big fan of like cornball humor. Mm. It's one of the reasons why I do not like Thor Ragnarok. Um, I know a lot of fans love that movie, but it's just, that's the kind of humor that I find really, really obnoxious. The stuff in this movie though, it, it's not for me personally it doesn't feel like it ever crosses that line you know you you have willie who's scared and, and screaming and yelling and screechy and you have short round doing his thing and, and and there's silly elements in it but i feel like i'm never taken out of the adventure i feel like it's never like out of place so nah, it works for me it absolutely works for me and like i said it offsets some pretty heavy subject material that you see throughout the film so i don't know yeah yeah that works. I, I, what do you think, Jen? Well, I, 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 I dig the tone. And look, I, I do agree with OG here. I think the humor was put in to offset a lot of the very dark subject matter that you actually have in here. I mean, we've got, you know, Indy being possessed, basically, right. <laughs> by a, uh, you know, Indian god almost, right? Uh, you have, you know, slave children. You have, you know... Uh, guy getting his heart ripped out, like OG said. You have guys, you know, getting killed by crocodiles down there. I mean, it's it is it's tough. It's rough. Uh, so you kind of had to have a little bit of humor. They do it right here uh, after the Dan Aykroyd um, cameo, by the way. Yes, real right. fast. It's like, oh yeah, we're getting away, and it's like, no, you're not. <laughs> you're not getting away at all. And they have their little fun right there. I, you know, it's it's just something to kind of offset. A lot of the uh, a lot of the, the deep dark subject matter that is featured in here, man. Willie uh, is I think an extension of that. Again, was that you know maybe they went a little bit too far for her with with her, probably right. Um, she is the butt of a, a few few of, of her own jokes right there, but Indy gets it too. So you know who who who's to say uh, that that <laughs> that th- those were bad creative choices at the time. Uh, I, I I do agree with uh, OG, though. I, I kind of like the tone, though. I kind of like how there is a little bit of humor in there and doesn't take itself super, super, super seriously. Um, yeah. I, I, think that's, I think that's important for an action-adventure uh, film like this. I think it's really tough for some of these films because the question is, when have you gone too far? And that is a subjective question for every single person who steps into the theater right. to watch it. Um, for me... There are um, there are only I would say two places where they go too far for me. Um, those two places are the raft scene coming out of the plane. Um, it was just now 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 this is this is an interesting take though. Uh, we'll talk about this when we talk about um, Crystal Skull. Like what's not too far for me is him getting in the refrigerator and getting blown out of the city. I know it's ridiculous, but it doesn't bother me as much as the the raft scene does, to be honest with you. Um, For whatever reason, it just doesn't bother me as much. But what I was bothered with, with, um, I think the the most ludicrous thing we've seen in an Indiana Jones film, and the one that bothers me the most, is mutt swashbuckling across the Jeeps, right? Like that, I I cannot stand. Like that has gone so far. It's ridiculous. That's rough. That is yeah, rough. Really rough. We'll get it's into really that, rough. I'm sure, when we get to Crystal Skull. We will. Him vining across the whole thing with the monkeys. Oh, it's it's rough, man. It, yeah. There's no question there. I, I'll agree there's with no you. No question. So so I think in this film specifically, the raft scene bothers me. And it takes me out of it a little bit. 
Um, and then the other scene that bothered the other um, Willie's persona does bother me a tad as we get closer and closer to the end of the film, because there's very few points in the film where I feel like she's asked to use any strengths um, to help overcome anything. She kind of just, yeah. d- just bumbles into things constantly. Um, mm-hmm. And that's fine. I do think to your point, OG, it is a counterbalance to the, to the intense subject material. And it's not like it, it doesn't take me out of it um, totally, but it does kind of make me go, okay, you know, when they jump the, when they jump the mine train onto the other track, I'm okay with that. When the big, uh, thing of water burst out of the out of the side. I'm okay with that. Short round driving the car. I actually really love the humor yeah. around the 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 fire at night where she thinks that the the elephant is is grabbing her and she throws it. Here's the reason why it India uh, Temple of Doom still gets a nine for me is b- even though I dislike the rash scene and I and I have some problems with Willie. Um, I love when she's used for comedy, but it's almost like she's always the comic relief. Right. Um, I think the reason it still gets a nine is because Indiana Jones does not change. Harrison Ford plays it the exact same way he played it in Raiders. There's no difference in the way that he responds to all of the all of the things happening around him. He is not becoming. You could argue that there's a little bit of silliness between him and Willie in the, in the love scene where they're in the separate rooms and they're deciding what, which who's going to go back to whose room. There's a little bit of silliness in Harrison Ford there, but it's again, it's not outside the realm of his interaction with Marion where he was like, I hurt here and I hurt here. And he's pointing to his face and his elbow and stuff. So for me, I think that it's still the glue is still held together by Harrison Ford. And that's why, that's why this movie doesn't completely just rip me out of it and be like, it's crystal skull levels of like irritation for me. Um, so yeah, I think we all like it. And then yes, there is some tonal differences, but for the most part, you guys, it works for you. And for the most part, it works for me. Those are the only things that like, I take it down a notch, but go ahead, OG. And and I also think that there is a, there is an element of like, um, like the era that this film was made in, you know, like, I think that audiences are a little different now. Um, yeah, I think back then it was, it was different in how they approached, uh, these kind of these big blockbusters compared to now. I think, I think audiences now are actually like a little bit more, their approach to film is a little bit more analytical, just even the normies, you know? And I think that back then you can get away with, you know, the, maybe the raft coming off, off the plane, landing on the mountain and the whole thing where nowadays audiences question things a little bit more. And you even see that like with Disney animation, right? Like you can, you could have, you could do a fairy tale um, in the 1960s, seventies, even eighties where, you know, uh, love at first sight, yada 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 and audiences sort of accepted that where now audiences question that like well why would she fall in love at first sight well who does that you know (laughs) audiences question things a lot more now i think so i do think there is an element of like we're in a different time period too now than we were i think in like what 1984 so that's a part of it i think you're right i mean this is this was we just talked about this last week dre but you know, Big Trouble in Little China came out around the same time, right? right. So, like, <laughs> you, you had like, and and um, uh, Back to the Future came out around this time. So, this was definitely a year later. Actually, I think eighty five was um, Back to the Future. So, it's right. it it is they did take bigger swings. Let's put it that way. Go ahead, Dre. I, much bigger swings. I mean, the the scale of this picture is 
way bigger than Raiders. If that, if it's even possible, Raiders was already a big film, but this is just massive. This is huge. Some of the set pieces are just <laughs> enormous, you know. Um, especially when you get into uh, some of the some of the mine car scenes and stuff like that. It's like, how big is this film, and how big are we getting? Um, the locate locales are distinctly different than anything we've ever seen before. Um, I mean, it doesn't even go back to America even once, you know, it just it it, it stays on this part of the continent. Uh, I'm sorry, this part of the world. And it's just it's just it's just huge. You really get that sense of of that uh, of that locale, not maybe the most accurate representation of that locale. Right. A very yeah. exotic uh, take on that, uh, both, uh, you know, literally and uh, philosophically, maybe. But I I. You know, I, I I compliment the film in that way for taking that big swing and 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 doing it. I understand, you know, now with our twenty twenty three eyes, right? We look, we we all look at this a little bit differently now. But again, these are time capsules, right? These are harkening back to another time, and this film harkens back to even a time even before it. And so, with that kind of jump there, I think it's I think it's okay, um, but. Man, this is uh, this is this is quite the adventure right here. It's like a it it literally becomes a roller coaster at one point, right? Yeah, <laughs> with right, the mine car, right. with the mine car scene, uh, and and you're on it for the entire time. Uh, it's, it's some of the probably some of the series' best action sequences are actually in this film. Interestingly mm. enough, well, and 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 I think this sort of. Um, this bombastic approach to adventure in this movie sort of solidified Indiana Jones as being synonymous with adventure, you know? Um, I mean, when you, when you think of adventure, you think of this man, you know? So, and I think, I think this film played a big part of that. I really do. Yeah. Before I transition us into question four, which is a little heavier, um, I will say that one of the ways that the tone is nailed is in the scene where Indy and Short Round are in the chamber that is basically trying to kill them. The ceiling is coming down with the spikes, um, and Willie has to come in and, and go through the the bugs to be able to <laughs> release the lever and then then release them from being able to be in that space. Um, and you know, even then, as silly as Indiana Jones um, is going to get, is him going we are going to die and the, the spikes <laughs> coming down through his hat and uh and and the way that um that willie is interacting with that seems on character still and so yeah. that's where the the film pushes it to the point where i go this actually feels still very much like indiana jones to me um and then kind of nail it right there so right. Uh, i do love that part of the tone too that that scene right there is one of the best scenes, like one of my favorite scenes of all time. <laughs> I mean, it's just the music from John Williams sets oh, the tone man. right off the bat. The dun, 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 you know, it just it just kind of goes up, builds up, builds up, builds up. So then you've got that going on. The editing is just perfect. The interplay between characters is just phenomenal right there. And that all gets kind of amped up as she makes her way down to the caverns and she discovers what it is and she freaks out. And it's like, yeah. you know, you got you got Indy right there. He can't he's kind of helpless, can't really do anything, right? He's relying on uh Willie to actually save them, which by the way, if you're looking for 
her to do something. She did save Indy and save That's the true. entire adventure. So there you go. She did <laughs> like that. But, but, you know, it's relying on her and she is not at all in a comfortable position right now, uh, according to her character. And, and it's just, it's just the tension is powerful. Yes. You can just feel it. It's amazing, you know. And this was so good. Uh, they not only took one element of this for the actual attraction, which we'll talk about yeah. later on in this discussion, but they took two because it was so good, so iconic. I'm telling you, like this scene right here, I mean, you stack them up against any of the other Indiana Jones's other action films, I would say this is right up there. Well, and, and from a storytelling perspective, from like a movie making perspective, like I think that like you hit the nail on the head, Ray depending on Willie to save them added to that tension. Like you're stressed that the hell out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cause like, you're like, Oh, how is this girl going to do this? Like she can't, she can't even handle the bugs. Like, what are we doing here? You know, it right. really amped up that tension. You're, it, it's fantastic. And it's, it's absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. And, and, and to, to double down on your point, Dre, about the John Williams music at this portion of the film, yes. the fact that he, the fact that he speeds up that track when they when it when it doubles down and it starts going again, it just is like, could you ask for a more perfect soundtrack to go alongside what is happening on screen? I mean, it's just brilliance. It's brilliance. Um, yeah. So there's a lot here that is that is so amazing. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk Dre into rating it a nine out of ten by the end of the. By the end of the <laughs> yeah, yeah you, you might actually you might you know with a scene this yeah. good 8.5 might be still yeah. short but not there I, yet. I gotta say i'm i'm really bad at rating stuff like just like on a personal level like i have a hard time with my mind is it's very hard for me to do that um i i gave this an eight but yeah, it probably is closer to a, to a nine. It's pretty good. <laughs> so I don't know. Short rounds yelling at you. He's like, hey, you rate this higher. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, okay, so in the this is a little bit heavier of a question, but just like in Raiders, Indy doesn't initially believe in destiny or the supernatural when he shows up. Um, in fact, his motivation in Raiders and Temple is finding a notable historical artifact. Um, now, I do want to comment on this really quickly. Uh, Temple, of, Temple of Doom sort of doubles down on that by potentially suggesting that Indy is in this for fortune and glory. And I just listened to another podcast where they actually emphasize that he's in it for fortune and glory. And I just have to say, I have always read those lines from him as sarcasm. He's not being like, I'm in this for fortune and glory per se. He's saying that other people are and kind of like, making fun making light of the situation yeah. like we're doing this for fortune and glory i don't think he's really doing it for fortune and glory so i just want to make a note about that but he is in it to find the artifacts not so much because he believes in the spirituality of the people who are asking him to do this at least to start with um but in both films the supernatural is evident god in the first film and then shiva and kali in the second film both hindu gods here so, uh, Dre, I'll start with you. What's important about switching from the Judeo-Christian supernatural into this Hindu supernatural? And then how do you personally respond to that based on, a, on a, as a moviegoer, seeing a completely different take on different supernatural aspects? Well, you know, as the indie films went along, I, I know George, one of George Lucas's biggest struggle was coming up with artifacts in which to actually rescue or, you know, uh, uh, interweave into the plot and 
or whatever. I mean, it's it's an Indiana Jones staple, but how do you keep, you know, doing it? That's why I think the video games and some of the ancillary material kind of expanded out and included like the Lost City of Atlantis, for example, or the Fountain of Youth and all that. So it's a li- it's it's not quite it's not and every time it's it's an artifact, maybe it's a place, location and that. But uh well, for the actual films, it's usually always an artifact. So this is um I, I I think it was I think it was wise to get away from maybe Judeo Christian artifacts. Yeah. Uh if only to kind of expand the universe out and to, you know, incorporate some 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 other elements in there. Um I think the uh what is it, the Shankara stones, I believe is what mm-hmm. they're called. Mm-hmm. Um I think I think they're I think they're pretty I think they're pretty strong. Uh you know, they they they, they kind of play a little bit with, you know, um aspects of this kind of uh, Indian folklore let's say mm-hmm. but but you know maybe you could have said they maybe go farther we don't truly know what their powers are and why they're they're looking for them I know I know it's it's reverential to the people there but if there were maybe a little bit more supernatural element to it to kind of create a sense of like oh you do not want these to fall in the wrong hands I think would have upped the ante just a little bit right there um, but I'm, I'm actually okay with them delving into other uh, cultures and their relics because uh, I, I think it's appropriate. Look, you know, I think, you know, the Egyptians probably had something. The, the South Americans had something, which, ooh, that's interesting, crystal skull. But, you know, they, they would all have kind of these things uh, for which are are highly praised items um, in, in Indiana Jones's line of work. So, yeah, I, 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 think it's, I think it's good. I don't really necessarily come at it from a religious perspective, Mm-hmm. I come at it from a more of an entertainment perspective, and on that note, I think it's uh, I think it, it it fits the series. Yeah, I think I think it's I think it's smart. Like I agree with you, Jay, uh, Dre. I, it's it's very it's smart filmmaking on on an entertainment level because here you have an archaeologist. I mean, I, it would be kind of it would be like malpractice almost not to dip into other other regions, religions, and things like that. Like he's he's globe trotting, so you're gonna have Hindu, you're gonna have Christian, you're gonna have all these other 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 uh, religions involved with with these artifacts and what have you. So I think it, I think it, it was a smart move, a necessary move. We get into another question coming up about the bad guys going from the Nazis to the um, you know to this Chinese uh, what, like crime boss, you know, yeah, right. stuff like that. I think is also good because again, he's a and Indiana Jones is a is a global kind of. Uh, explorer you know and 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 you're gonna want to dip into as much of that as you can so yeah from an entertainment standpoint i think it's spot on i think it's exactly what you do with this kind of character um i'm all in i'm a little disappointed um that i'm we're hearing that they kind of go back to the nazis again in dial of destiny but we'll see how that works in execution because i really do like the variety uh more than continuously kind of going to the same well you know but we'll see how it's handled. I, we haven't seen that movie yet, so it might be fantastic. But hopefully, we can actually say their names on here. <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, I guess we'll find out. Oh, gee, you might have to edit this. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you know the uh, uh, the nineteen forties Germans of Ill repute. Uh, you know, it's I, like look, I I like it when Indy uh, you know punches. Um, those uh, those sect of Germans right there. It, it's satisfying when you know the history and everything like that. But it, I do agree with you, OG. I like the variety of 
villains of uh, what is it? You know, forces that he has to overcome, right? Right. Uh, and and like I like I said before, this kind of shows the range not only in terms of artifact but in the uh people that he's kind of up against right here it shows the range of like who he is up against not just the the um i think it's the Dougie cult that he's yeah, uh, okay. kind of going against mm-hmm. right here but but also like back in shanghai with with them <laughs> on his tail right there that kind of shows that you know <laughs> uh like his character maybe uh in in the form of han zolo he's um pissing off people left and right yeah yeah, I agree. I agree with both of you. I think it's it's not only it's not only interesting from an entertainment standpoint. I think it's also critical to the larger world that Indiana Jones populates because Indiana Jones is. I think if if you were to say Indiana Jones is a uh, a subtle attempt for George Lucas and uh, Steven Spielberg to prove that Judeo Christian. Uh, background religion is the most important thing in the world and other religions do, aren't, it would feel so awkward. It'd yeah. be like, why? These are not the guys I'm looking to to, to prove this point. Um, and instead, what we see is we see Indy get to experience other people's cultures, the same kinds of belief systems that they put on things are evident, but it's done in 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 the way that they would do it, not in the way that the American population would do it or see it. Um, so we can see things the way that we can see basically as Indiana Jones is quintessentially American. I think you'd call him. Um, and he is interacting with all of these other things and all of these other things are new and different and foreign. And he has to learn about what he believes and what he doesn't believe based on interacting with these things. And I think that's a very, um, it's a very good tactic to take in this era uh, especially in the 80s as well, as you're looking at the the globalization of the planet as opposed to any kind of nationalistic takes on things, now we're getting to see see an American out of his element and how does he deal with this stuff? And I find I've found it always really fascinating, and I always find that um, I thought there was a there was a line in the film too where Molaram, the guy who tears hearts out of people, but Molaram <laughs> says to Indy like. As soon as we get all five Sankara stones, we're going after the Christian God. Then we're going after the Islamic God. Then we're going to, we're going to rule the world with our with with what we've got here, Sankara stones. Basically, saying that Kali is going to rule the world um, based on what uh, they're going to be able to do. And I wish, like Dre said, that that was more apparent about how all of that stuff was going to happen because we yeah. got we talked a lot about this with Raiders, but we got an expository scene where they basically told us these are the implications of dealing with the arc. Um, right. we don't get that quite here because we don't really know what the power of the stones are. We get the people, um, the people who ask Indy to help them basically say like the stones are important to us because they bring about prosperity. And then when we see Molaram, he's basically like, I'm going to rule the world with these stones, but we don't really know what the stones actually do. Right. We don't yeah. see that. We don't get a feel for that. Um, I think it's a little harder for us to connect to it. Does it matter to the overarching storyline and to the point? I don't think so, but it would have upped the stakes for us a little bit, I think. I, I, now, now, granted, having a guy pulling hearts out of people ups the stakes, right? Like, uh. <laughs> that's, that's the Kona argument. It works there, and that's fine. Um, before we get into this question I've got for you guys about the relationships, since you already touched on this, um, OG, I do want to talk about the villain. So, 
um, you you kind of mentioned, hey, we're seeing uh, Chinese organized crime in Shanghai. We with Lao Che, we are seeing the thuggy cult led by a priest Molaram who's tearing hearts out of people. Yeah. Um, this is definitely different from Indy going up against bad Germans, right? So, right. Um, so you kind of touched on it, OG. So I'll start with you. Uh, we've seen in this whole series, we've seen the German party that was fascist. We've seen the Russians who were communists. We've seen Chinese organized crime. Um, Dial of Destiny feels like it's going to bring back actually some former German scientists, maybe who are who are doing some bad things. Um, what works for Indiana Jones enemies? And maybe what doesn't work for Indiana Jones enemies in your view, OG? It's interesting how it's sort of seen through that American lens, like who the bad guys are, right? <laughs> Very interesting, you know? Yeah. Um, so obviously the Germans, I mean, that's everyone's, I mean, that's this the universal bad guy. But even like the Chinese and stuff, it, it, we're, we're, we're kind of like frenemies with them. We're not like super cozy, you know? So that's kind of interesting. Um, I think it's important. And I think like very much like the, the spiritual, the religious stuff, I think it adds when you have, when you have a variety of, of, of bad guys or gals, whatever, uh, from, from different cultures, uh, and it makes for better entertainment. You know, it, it just does. And, 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 and with this character in particular, who is a globetrotter, you're, you're going to want that, you know, um, have we had, have we had like a middle Eastern bad guy in Indiana Jones? I don't think so. We've had, well, he's Indian, this gentleman, right. And we've right. had the Germans and the Russians and Chinese. We haven't had like a Arab, uh, bad guy yet, which is not really, I you argue that some of the people in Raiders that are helping out the German party, you could argue that they're kind of hired yeah. on bad guys, but yeah, yeah, not, not as leading, not as leading anything. Yeah. Um, some of the guys in the last crusade, maybe, you know, but they actually turned out to be the good guys. So right. that's right. Interesting that's kinda, right. That's kinda right. Turn right there. Yeah. The, the, I think the, I think overwhelmingly the, the uh, middle Easterners are, are allies to yeah. Indiana Jones. Very, very interesting. <laughs> I, you know, you, you say, OG, about the kind of, uh, like, looking at this from a Western perspective, yeah. especially the 1980s, right? That dynamic really plays out not just in um, how the villains are depicted here, but also, like, who are the good guys, who are the bad guys? They have this conversation while they're eating dinner about the British occupation, right? It's like, you know, oh, yeah, well, we, we, uh, we've civilized this, uh, <laughs> this, this, <laughs> this area right here. Well, obviously, that's a little, you know, controversial right there, and they're actually shown these kind of... Um, you know what is it? British-influenced Indians who actually save the day at the end are looked at looked to be the, the the good guys right there, and it's like, hmm, probably wouldn't <laughs> do that today <laughs> with a, a more holistic understanding of the whole situation right there. But I, I, you know, that is one genuine critique or criticism that you can lay at the at the doorstep of this movie right here, and you know, I, I'm I think what they were going for was nostalgia not only in terms of tone in terms of depiction and all that but also in story characterization um and, and all those kind of essential elements and maybe you know some nuance would have uh played out well here hmm. 
Yeah, I think that's true. I think I think that as I typed this question out, I was thinking to myself, you know, it it feels like I would have loved it if they would have thought back in the 80s that they wanted to do three more films in the 90s. Because like we could have had a film where Indy went up against the fascists in Italy, right? Like yeah. Italy was a big fascist party at that time. We could have had a, we could have had um, a scene or uh, or a movie that that concentrated on Imperial Japan and Indy going up against oh. Imperial Japan, right? Like oh, that would have been really that fascinating. Been cool. That yeah. would have been cool. See, and so, that's what that's kind of what like. Um, See, that's why I, I love this. I love the playing with the variety, right? What what you can bring to the table with this kind of stuff is just amazing. And that's why I'm a little yeah. disappointed with the Doll of Destiny rumors with the uh, Germans again. That, that's why I'm yeah. a little bit like, oh, man, you know? Yeah, we have to go back to that well again. And, I, yeah. I, you know, you kind of understand there are some people of Hollywood who get a really good kick out of that. And I understand why you want to go back to that well. But a little bit... Um, uh, what is it? Reach a little bit of a retread of ground for us um, moviegoers. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think too that there's this um, there's this sense with Indiana Jones. This is probably why Indiana Jones fits so well with Disney. Is that there is this strong sense of Americana. Now, yeah, as you pointed out, Dre, can that strong sense of Americana sometimes <laughs> get us into trouble in terms sure. of the stories we're telling? Absolutely, and I'm not I'm not making any uh, I'm not making any excuses for that. But what I will say is that even in the 80s, what was very evident in America, because after the 80s ended and we entered the 90s, um, it felt very much to me like a young person that all of a sudden we were opening ourselves up to the world with this globalized um, society that we, especially as, as uh, the internet started coming out, we started to hear stories about how people did things in other countries and you could mm. no longer paint people in another country as being one way back in the eighties, you could still paint people that way. Cause there wasn't the available. All, all yeah. the only things we'd learn about Russia were what the Russian government was pushing. We didn't hear about like what the people in the cities were dealing with, but they were equally outraged by the Russian government perhaps. And so we just got sort of the propaganda version of what it was to be Russia. And I mm. think that, um, I think that there's something to be said for, I think we've taken maybe one step too like you could you could argue that the movies of the 80s took one step too far into Americana where it was like America is obviously the best and everyone else sucks and like we'll tell them how to operate. Um, but I think we've actually taken almost sometimes a step too far the other direction mm. where where we're not even rooting for ourselves anymore. Right. Like, yeah. and, and I think that that's a bummer because okay. I would like to see us kind of. I would like to see more movies where people were like, yeah, isn't it cool? Like, I think we got this in Top Gun Maverick, ironically. Yes. We did. Like, yeah. you know, like, isn't it cool to be American? Like, we have stood. We don't do everything right. For sure, no questions asked. You can point out a lot of reasons why we do a lot of bad things. But also, we've done a lot of cool things, too. And sometimes right. celebrating some of those things is kind of cool. And I think Indiana Jones a lot of times gives us the ability to celebrate some of those things because we're celebrating Indiana Jones. And, and you bring up a great point about Top Gun Maverick. There, there's a hunger for that out there right now. Like, I wish Hollywood would tap into that a little bit more, you know, because I think people are tired of, like, always feeling like, you know, we suck, right? Like, why can't we celebrate <laughs> yeah. America every now and then, right? Like you said, Jay, we're not perfect and we never will be. But right. we're not terrible either. We have a lot of good stuff too going on, and it'd be fun to kind of get that team spirit back up. <laughs> yeah, and I think there's a big difference between celebrating the ideal versus yeah. celebrating the actual. 
And I think that sometimes like Top Gun Maverick gives us the ability to do that, right? It, it Now, what Top Gun Maverick does very strategically and very well is that Top Gun Maverick actually also puts in place the knowledge that not all Americans in this situation are good Americans, right? There's some people that are against what Tom Cruise is about to do in that film, right? <laughs> against what Maverick is going to do. And so I think that, that that's a, a very artful, smart way of handling it. Uh, I do think that they probably could have in Top Gun Maverick given us an actual foreign country as opposed to, oh, it's a random foreign country. We don't know yeah. who it is, right? Like, <laughs> It's interesting. Uh, yeah. Is that do I care? Do, are they trying to make more money? Yes, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to make more money, not turn off international viewers. Totally cool with that. Um, but you know, I think you could have probably played that, and it would probably would have been fine. Um, yeah. So let's talk about another area where Indiana Jones. So, so what we're acknowledging here is that Indiana Jones has a lot of Americana that is really cool, but also it's not bringing any nuance to some of these things. It is a white savior, right? We've heard a lot about that over the course of time. It is, uh, the, like you mentioned, Dre, the colonial powers from England kind of save the day at the end. So it's, this is not, this is not culturally, uh, perfect. There's some, there's some elements here that we know that are, that are crossing the line there. Um, but another area where people have complained over the years is Indiana Jones and his relationships or, not necessarily his relationships, but the depiction of female characters in Indiana Jones films. And I've been watching, as you guys know, all of the adventures of young Indiana Jones, formerly known as the young Indiana Jones Chronicles. Um, there's an episode where Freud teaches Indy that love is entirely about sex. It's, it's so weird because <laughs> Indy's like eight years old talking to Sigmund Freud. It's very strange. Um, in a later episode, Indy watches his mom, Anna, almost have a fling with an Italian op- opera maestro. Um, Raiders indicates that Indy has had a past with a much younger Marion Ravenwood, yes, an uncomfortably that's, younger. That's <laughs> always Marian been Raven. a source of contention, right there. <laughs> yeah, exactly, it was wrong, and you knew it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And when that was brought up to George Lucas, he kind of yeah. just doubled down and was like, "Yeah, deal with it. This is what I know." Happen. <laughs> He's like, "Nope." That's oh. how it is. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> I think like Steven Spielberg was like, can't we just change her to 18? It'd be really simple, you know? And it's like, nope, not going to do it. I think in the script, oh. she's supposed to be 17 in that, in that oh. part. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, typical George great. Lucas, though. George is, like, grumpy, and he's standing. He's going to stand ground. George is... <laughs> Yeah. Oh yeah, he, he had he had a sister kiss the, her brother. I mean, like he he doesn't care. So he's, he's gonna be George Lucas. Um, in in the Last Crusade, we saw Indy and his father both hook up with Elsa. Here in Temple, Indy and Willie have an interesting interplay. Um, so here's my question for you guys. I'll start with you, OG. Sure. What do you make of the romance in Indiana Jones films? Does it work? Does it not work? Why or why not? How do you feel about this? I think it works really, really well. Um, and I think it's actually kind of a, a, a vital part of his character. I think that this kind of like the way that Indiana Jones approaches females adds to his masculinity. And even Han Solo is kind of the same thing, right? Like would Han Solo be as necessarily as seen as masculine if he if if he if there wasn't that interaction with Leia, right? His kind of kind of a shit talking kind of um, you know, uh back and forth banter with with leia right it, it it adds to his 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 masculinity i think i think with these movies it's the same thing i think that when you see the, the these interactions you get a a sense of like this is like the everyman this is like that really like manly like old school like you know 
masculine figure and these women are sort of like um i don't want to say like i mean they, they play a, a, a part in, in in expanding his persona i think i think it's absolutely vital if you didn't have those relationships i think in these films i think he would be a lesser character in my opinion mm -hmm. I, I just i think i think it adds a lot to who Indiana Jones is that kind of suave. And the cool thing too about it is like, he's so like, like that one scene in this movie where, where they go into the different rooms, right? It's kind of silly, yeah. but he's, he's, he's the kind of guy where he's like, I'm willing to walk away. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> eager. I want her. He's like, I want her so bad. He know, you know, he wants her so bad. He's willing to walk away. Okay. Very masculine thing. Very alpha kind of, kind of traits here. You know, it says a lot about the character. So yeah, no, I, I, I like the way these, the, the, his interactions with females were, ha were handled. I think it benefits the character quite a bit. And do you think, what do you use your take on how do you feel about the female characters? Like that's another complaint is that mm. so, so Indy's reaction to the female characters might right. build him as a character, but if, if, because I've heard it both ways. We had a comment on the last video that was uh, going after us for for apparently criticizing Marion too much, which I thought was crazy because we love Marion. <laughs> yeah, we love Marion. You can go back and read the comment, Dre. It's, it's interesting. Wow. I was like, yeah, I, he, I, I they did. He, I was actually thinking about even deleting that comment because it wasn't like critical. It was kind of like, like you said, Jay, they were kind of going after you guys. I was like, I got to see this here. I just went and said, I'm not sure you were paying close attention to what we were saying because we all love Marion. What's going on here? But anyway, the point being, and you can always come after us, by the way. I don't I don't mind. If you want to come out and say that I have a crazy opinion, go for it. But the... What do you think about the actual characterization of the female characters? Like the characters themselves? Yeah. Yeah. That's a little different. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, th <laughs> I, I think they do a better job at like sort of like, like plussing Indy's character than they, than they are in characters in and of themselves, in my opinion. You know? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like, yeah. I, I, like I felt like, like in this movie... Like Willie, she, she, you know, she, 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 she's essential to the to to his character. But like, I felt like Short Round was a better character, though. Like, I'm more interested in Short Round as a character, you know. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, the the in and of themselves, I think the female characters are kind of, but I think they they help Indy quite a bit. What do What do you think, Dre? What do you think? You think they're uh, solid or you think that no, is kind of I like the females. I mean it's it's a staple for the for the franchise. Obviously this was based off of like James Bond, you know. That, yeah. That's kind of what they were going for right. when it came to including females and how Indiana Jones would interact with them, right? You know, he's always got to get the gal. And uh unlike James Bond, they don't always betray him, which is <laughs> which is interesting. <laughs> we do get a betrayal, but it's not in this movie. And I actually like that a lot. Uh as well but but look i mean you know it's it's uh he's 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 kind of like the i don't know 1930s swashbuckling adventuring kind of dude and obviously he's very interesting years of field work by the way <laughs> and uh you know i i think he would be kind of um uh kind of a, a player a little bit yeah. that way i think it, i think it does actually enhance his character and look i mean i just read that uh comment right there 
Okay, <laughs> hang on here, guys. <laughs> Man, okay. Well, we, we share we your were... screen. Should we, should we have the comment up and we could talk about it? Uh, break it down? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we can do that right here. We can do that right here. So let me go ahead and uh, hopefully oh, the things the things freeze again. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. You're, you're kind of coming in and out a little bit. Right? Yeah, you, you've right. got like I'll a, get back a mic in. problem. Give me a second. Okay. Okay, no yeah. problem. No problem. I'll, I'll, I'll give you my take before Drake comes back. Um, sure, sure. I think that what you said is a very artful way of putting it, OG, because here's the, here's the problem, right? The, the more focused a story is, the more it's going to effectively accomplish what it's intending to do. Okay. The one of the things that we've seen pressure from, and we were talking about this, it's the same thing with the with the DEI conversation we were having the other day on the Orange Nerd Show, is that it's easier for for um, it's easier for people to accomplish things when the when the targets are are more narrowly defined. As soon as we start expanding our, in fact, there's research on this. There's research on this is if you go to do a project and you have more than three goals, the likelihood of you achieving those goals continues to drop percentage wise. And so, for example, at the company that I used to work for, we used to say, you're not allowed to have more than four goals for the year, because if you have more than four goals, the problem is going to be that we're we are going to fail on on all but maybe one of them, and 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 it's just it's just a much more difficult thing to do. And so I think that it is uh, really good that we've had pressure for more and better female representation. I think it's really good that we've had pressure for more uh, people of color, uh, for more sexual orientation um, diversity. All of that representation is fantastic. However, we have to also realize that when we, it's it's easier to tell those stories as their own stories as opposed to trying to pigeonhole those things into a different story. We start to detract from what we could have been narrowly focused on. So I don't think that Indiana Jones is attempting at all to. Um, I think the female characters are are great. I agree with you both. I I, I like the way that they're displayed. Would I say that I would? Uh, I think a good question for every at least male person to ask because every female can ask just like we can ask with Indiana Jones and, and we can, you can ask across um, genders too. Of course, this I'm not, I'm not saying you can't, but the natural thing for you to do is to go, do I, do I associate with Indiana Jones and kind of understand where he's coming from? I think a good thing for us to ask is when we look at a female character, would we want to be married to that character? We would, we want to have that character as uh, a daughter or a mother does that work for us would we like a different character in that role instead and i do think that there are some times where the char- the female characters in indiana jones with the exception of marion i think yeah. like marion is a really good character but with with both elsa which we'll talk about i'm sure we'll talk about i'm sure and with um with willie i think we're looking at a caricature as opposed okay. to a fully realized female character and so okay. again is that bad? I don't know. It, it makes Indiana Jones character react and respond to them in ways that in, uh, that endear us to him and have us understand why he's doing what he's doing. And 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 he 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 misses out on some things too, right? Like he he doesn't do some things that he should do because of what's going on. He kind of learns from that. He's not James Bond has a much James Bond has a much better close rate with the women that he's in and a much higher abandon rate than Indiana yeah. Jones seems to. These things seem sure. to stick with Indy for longer, which I think is good. Um, but uh, but yeah, go ahead, Dre. What were you going to finish up on there? Okay, so this is the comment right here. 
Uh, this is from Doris above two two one zero. Okay. I don't know what the other guy is talking about. She becomes a screamer later in, on in the movie. Seriously, oh yeah, that's why Marion was machine gunning down and killing dozens of 1940s Germans of ill repute. Is that why Marion has a higher kill count than Indiana Jones? Which is a fact. Indiana Jones keeps getting captured constantly. Needs to be saved by Marion. I'm so sick of you guys, uh, like like you, originally saying the truth about Marion being a badass and then downplaying it, lying and distorting the narrative to make Indiana Jones look tough because he wasn't. Uh, he was the damsel in distress, even needed a nine-year-old short round to save him. Give me a break. You guys just can't stand Marion being as tough as Indiana Jones without it bothering you. The truth is that Marion was tougher than Indiana Jones, and that's facts. Oh, yeah. And how many times did Indiana Jones get his ass kicked? Do you say uh, that he's less of a man and a, uh, and a hero because of it? Uh, of course not, because he's a man, so he gets a free pass for being human. But Marion always has to be superhuman. Yeah, right. Most of the time, she is superhuman. It's not good enough. Again, yeah, right. Yeah, Marion <laughs> cannot even scream. Oh, no. Okay. So, real, real, real quick, Dre, before you, before you go on. You, you know what I hate the most, man? Mm-hmm. Run-on sentences. That's what I hate. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. I know. Good, concise points. Okay. Uh, listen, uh, it seems like you know, that's a little bit of uh, overcompensation for some, you know, maybe personal problems <laughs> with, how, with how that's all structured. I don't mean to attack the messenger, but it just sounds kind of like that. You know, maybe you want to edit this, maybe, you know, trim up your points. Uh, but, uh, OK, let's just take on, you know, the, the 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 what is it? The text given to us. Right. Um, I don't think we I don't think we ever said that that, you know, Marion was was any lesser. Uh, than Indiana Jones in some of her depictions and in some of the situations that she has put in, uh, it, you know, we even said ourselves, we were like, mm, you know, would we have necessarily put her in those situations uh, in this day and age? Probably not. We probably would have made some alternative decisions, right? But, you know, she was uh, captured at one point, right? And the bad people were putting her in those decisions, uh, in those specific positions. So it's like, okay, like I get it. Like, understand why uh that was done in that way and yeah i mean she is an absolute badass who com who who does take down her fair share of uh 1940s not uh, 1940s germans of ill repute right so it's like okay good that's that's it's that's all good right there uh you know this is the an interesting thing that's done sometimes it's like oh which character is more of a badass which character is better worse whatever all that kind of stuff and i don't really get into that uh, mm. that that much it's it's you know can these characters kind of stand on their own are they right. uh, as compelling as another character uh what are their what are the flaws of each character and uh you know how does that contribute to their characters and why we like them love them hate them etc right uh, like that so in terms of like if we're talking like Dragon Ball Z power levels and stuff, like that's just that's yeah. really dumb, really stupid. Are each capable? And I think in this case, I think they very much are. Well, and then that kills creativity, I think, too, yeah. when you when you approach it with that Dragon Ball Z power level thing, right? Because you, you want to approach a, a story from from a story a storytelling standpoint, where when you do that, and and. Uh, Dre, uh, Jay, you know, you're, you're a writer and stuff. I mean, you, you do this all the time. 
you want to you want to create a story where it's compelling, and if you're just having this competition between who's the bigger badass, that's not <laughs> doesn't usually make for a compelling story. You need mm. varying um, types of characters in these film in these stories. You you know you just can't have a, a lineup of just badasses and and who's who's the best. You know, so yeah, I agree with you on that, Dre. I think that's kind of silly. I yeah, think to, I think to take this to take this comment and break it down. This comment is trying to suggest that we were trying to suggest that Marion is not a good character and that Marion right. is and, and this this is this comment's kind of indicating that Marion may be the best character. And I think what we said in the show, and by the way, we just uh, we just approached this from a very factual standpoint as well. Sure. Marion is introduced. We said that she's one of the best character introductions in the history of film. So we said that. That's one thing yeah. we said. Um, the next thing we said was that she is a perfect counter to Indiana Jones. The first thing she does with Indiana Jones, which we mentioned, was she hits him across the face. Like this is not somebody <laughs> who's taking it from a, from from him, right? Right. Um, she stands up for herself along the way. Um, there are also depictions of her uh, of where they are. Um, the locals that were hired by the Germans are grabbing her and kidnapping her. She gets kidnapped multiple times. Does Indy get kidnapped as well? Sure, he does get kidnapped a couple times here as well. Um, but the real the real thing was mentioned is that after the uh, the submarine sequence, from that point in the movie onward, Marion does nothing but but stand there and listen to what Indy tells her to do. Yeah. So that's all we that's all we said. We we said we the question the why do we bring these things up on the Story Geeks podcast at all? Because we try to listen to all of the different and various opinions about a piece of art and we try and take that from all the different angles giving our opinion but also understanding the the opinions of others. And so what we have to do is we have to say I have to come up with a question that says many people have has have criticized the representation of female characters in Indiana Jones films. How do we feel about that, gentlemen? And when we have to approach those from different angles. In this case what we were saying is some people have had problems with the female representation. We kind of understand why because there's some areas where it does feel like she's a damsel in distress. It feels like Willie is that way as well. You could feel like she's the best character in the history of film and she's a super badass. I think that that's phenomenal. You should totally think that. You should totally feel that way. And you should come up with your reasons for why you feel that way. Hmm. Um, but it doesn't mean that everybody's going to agree with that. We, we hear it from both sides all the time. Right. And that's totally cool. Everyone should be able to have their own opinion. And we should be able to have a... So, so notice, notice, I ask OG. OG, how do you feel about the relationship between Indy and his female characters? And OG says, I really like it. And then I say, cool. OG, can you also address the portion of this where the people say the female characters are sometimes not represented well. And OG says, I can kind of see that side of it too. In other words, right. we're not trying to put out propaganda to you and convince you of something that you shouldn't believe. You exactly. should believe whatever you're compelled to believe. And hopefully these conversations can bring about a greater understanding of the film, more questions for you to consider. And maybe those things will shape your opinion in such a way, Doris, that you can say, I think you guys are wrong. I love Marion all the way through the movie. And we would sit back and go, we love Marion too. It's not confrontational. It's cool. And if we were confrontational, yeah. we just go, we have a difference of opinion. Congratulations. Yeah, <laughs> That's how 100%. we operate. 
Absolutely. Uh, 100%. Um, you know, a final point. I think all, all the women are uh, in this in this series are capable in their own way. Uh, mm. And even though Willie gets kind of the short end of that, <laughs> I would say, um, for sure, uh, sh- she, she still does some stuff in this film that, well, saves everybody and allows the plot to actually move forward, right? Yeah. Um, and, and that's, that's, that's what I like about these, uh, the, these films. And it's kind of, it's, it's, it's unfortunate that she isn't more capable because, you know, I mean, there are films in which, you know, you'll, you'll see these, uh, you'll see these pieces definitely in, in modern cinema where it's like, I don't know that you have one person doing everything and the other person gets left behind maybe for, you know, a specific reason or two or whatever. I like characters to be uh, capable across the board. Um, I think the women of Indiana Jones are for sure. And even though Willie, uh, doesn't do, I think, um, as much as I would like her to do. And Jay, you even said that when you were coming in here, uh, it's like, it's, it, it doesn't mean that we 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 like her any less. Um, Marion is especially capable, and uh, you know, hopefully, what we are saying here doesn't degrade your your thoughts, and hopefully, it just kind of expands uh, your 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 mindset related to all these things. Yeah, well, said. and we have to we have to we have to say too, um, by all accounts and from everything that I've seen about Kate Capshaw, she is a wonderful human being. <laughs> so, um, so I, I think it's one. I mean, let's put it this way: Steven Spielberg had directed her to be this way, and then yet decided to marry her. I mean, come on! I mean, like this is this is like real life now and involved in this thing. So, um, but we we really appreciate the comments and to, to showcase how different opinions uh, can be out there. I'm going to read a couple of tweets that I got. I tweeted out our question number three from tonight, which was tonally: Does this movie work or does it not work? I just want to sure. read to you some of the various opinions yeah. that we got out on Twitter from our friends. Um, uh, my buddy Nerd Soul Michael Young said everything. That's what works everything. So he, so he, he's he loves the tonal differences of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Dune. He he's in. Um, the candid camper said it's all about the raft and the waterfall, which is you know obviously my biggest problem with it. And I think that that's a joke related to that. So that's that's funny too. Um, our 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 super friend, we'll call it we'll call him our super friend, Mister Theme Park Casual, said the outlandish and truly unbelievable escapes were what I didn't like. In Raiders, everything felt somewhat plausible or possible. Mm. And so so Theme Park Casual and I ha- have a kind of a shared understanding, a shared approach to what that looks like. By the way, he got three likes on that one. Um, and nice. then Indiana Jim, who has a fantastic uh, Twitter handle, said, it all works. What are you talking about? Smiley face. So just to give you a little bit of perspective, even amongst our friends who we operate all the time with on Twitter, who come right. onto the shows, we none of us agree so if you, ever, <laughs> if you ever hear us agreeing it's, it's just wait long enough and we'll disagree on something else exactly before switching the topic over i wanted to go yeah. ahead and bring this up too that one of the things that's very unique to temple of doom amongst all the rest uh, you could say crystal skull kind of does this last uh last crusade kind of dabbles in this but not really the family dynamic that's in here with short round with Willie. It's kind of this mother father kind of, you know, son type relationship right here. It's really done. 
I thought quite well, you know, it's like the parents are always arguing, they're always you yeah. know, kind of in fights or whatever. You got the young, capable kid who's kind of scrappy himself. Um, he's like the pickpocket. He can do kind of anything right there. I always kind of loved how, for example, right, there's a shot, I believe, if I can find it right here, and then uh, you can uh, share my screen, when they're on the plane... And they're going to sleep right here, right? And it's right before the pilots abandoned, and you know. But you see this right here, like like a short round kind of laying on Indy. You know, you right. kind of get a sense that <laughs> Indy Father only likes son. one person in this world, and it's and it's short round. In fact, he actually allows him to wear the famous fedora, right? He doesn't even allow Mutt to wear the fedora, but he allows <laughs> <That's right. laughs> he allows right. short round to wear it. And, you know, you kind of really get a bond there. And, and, and honestly, it, it wasn't just a bond on screen, but from what we have now seen uh, from his interactions with Short Run as a grown-up, um, that bond is still very much in place. And I always thought, man, you know, what a missed opportunity not to bring back Short Round for Dial of Destiny. I think that would have been absolutely perfect. Now, they do have a Short Round-type character in there in Dial of Destiny, as you'll see when the film actually comes out. It's interesting because they they really do kind of make <laughs> Phoebe Waller Bridge to be kind of this next indie, but not going all the way with that. It's interesting when you talked about how um, you know this also is kind of dealing with the familial thing a little bit, but his relationship with females, right, and how it's like I you know I think it does enhance his character. It's interesting because Phoebe Waller Bridge is put in that same situation where she's kind of you know, guy hungry and she sleeps around apparently in, in the next film and apparently doesn't play quite as well as when, you know, mm-hmm. um, when the, the creators examining the, the previous films under indie, how they, how they felt or how they thought, mm-hmm. um, he was being depicted in there and they replicate that for Phoebe Waller-Bridge doesn't work quite as well. But besides that fact, I think the, the familial dynamic here that you see on screen is actually is actually quite good and really does enhance and, and raise the stakes for this film quite considerably. Well, you bring up a great point with that, Dre. Like, they're, they're a family unit here. You know, this is father and son. Whether they're blood or not, they're fa- it's like a father and son, you know? There's a real love. There's a real bond there. And then, yeah. like you said, you have mom and dad are always fighting, right? Him and Willie are always <laughs> arguing, and she's always pissed off. It just, it's... I love it. I absolutely love it. But what, what what this really boils down to, though, is basically what you're saying, Dre, is that um, maybe in Dial of Destiny, he should pass the fedora on to Short Round. <laughs> and he yeah. becomes a Deanna Jones. That almost seems like the natural thing, right? Exactly. Well, especially, especially with the rise of Kihu Kwan. And yeah. the, the I have to say this, too, because I, I, I watched. So for those who don't know, the actor who plays Short Round, uh, Kihu Kwan, um he had a he was in goonies he was in temple of doom two of the two really big movies in the 80s um but after that he didn't get a lot of roles in hollywood and he's talked about that extensively and he's talked about how he would actually um he would get a a birthday presents from steven spielberg every year after he when he was a kid after he's you know after he was in this film so there was a familial connection even with the people this is like spielberg's wife that he marries after this film this is uh he sends gifts to short round for his his birthday kihu kwan in real life um 
And one of the things uh, that has happened is that Kihu Kwan has actually had a resurgence in his career because of everything everywhere all at once. He's going to be in a few more things as well. Right. So it would have been really fascinating if we would have got something like that and to see how um, I think of all the people who have appeared in an Indiana Jones film who Harrison Ford could have given his fedora to. Yeah. Maybe the only one that makes sense is short round. Right. <laughs> because, That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it's, um, that would have been a really kind of cool thing to do, right? Bring this character back that everybody loves. And, and heck, I mean, they still have that chemistry even today. I mean, every single time Harrison Ford, you know, sees this guy in a crowd, it's like, Hey, yeah. you know, it's my, it's, it's, it's my son over there. You know, <laughs> there's this really kind of bond that still exists. It's like, man, why didn't you recapture that? You know, if, if there is any spiritual successor to this character, it might be uh, Kiki Kwan's character with um, with Short Round. It's interesting. D- d- have you heard the story about how he got the role? No, no, I don't think so. No. Okay, so his brother auditioned for the role, and he oh, was there in order to add moral support for him and to kind of help him and coach him through his audition process. And while he was actually doing all of this, the film, you know, the filmmakers and, and casters were kind of like, uh, like, you know, maybe you should audition for the role. You're actually doing pretty, pretty good here. And I <laughs> uh, he kind of stole the role from his brother. What? But, you know, that's how, you know, uh, short round was 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 cast. And this is uh, amongst thousands of kids who were actually uh, who, who, who were actually, you know, um, was auditioned for the role. It's quite quite phenomenal that he stands out, even not only amongst the people who auditioned, but the people who didn't. So quite interesting. Is it yeah. true? And I, I, correct me, fellas, if I'm wrong. When he was in this movie, he he had he changed his name, right? And he only recently changed his name back to his real name, if I'm not mistaken. Is oh, I that, don't know. I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not. Yeah, I I I, really... I, I heard that's the case, and and. I'll have to look into it, but it was because his real name was obviously very, very Vietnamese. And at this time in the eighties, we talked about like the different eras and what have you, it was harder for him to get work, you know, if he used his real name. So he went by another name. I don't know. I, I just thought that was kind of interesting. Um, but I, what, I mean, if it's, if it's true, I'm glad he went back to his, his, his real yeah. name and, and I'm glad he's doing fantastic now. Um, love the guy. How do you not love the guy? How do you not love him? Yeah. I'll, I'll say one more thing about short round since we didn't get to talk to him. I thought he might come up earlier in the questions, but he hasn't. Um, so while we wait for Dre to pop back in, cause I have one more question for you guys. I'll just say this. I think um, short round is a very odd inclusion from a storytelling standpoint. And yet it works phenomenally well. I mean, like the fact that like, I think Dre hit the nail on the head. This is a very familial movie where all of these people care about one another they care about getting through this process together um they're not put in the process they're not put in this place um of their own choice but having to work their way out of it they have to work together to be able to do that and despite the fact they have distinct personalities and distinct ways of of viewing the world um and we have whole action sequences with short round he's a huge part of the action sequence when they escape from the uh when they escape from club Obi-Wan. And then he's a part of the action sequence where he's saving the child kids from the slavery. So, so the fact that he is involved in those two sequences so heavily um, is really phenomenal. And I'm just really glad that, that um, we got to see short round as a character here, because I think he's a powerful addition to this film for sure. Yeah, um, no, absolutely. 
he's a yeah. he's a hero he's a hero in this movie he's man. a hero I mean, he's a hero he's awesome he's yeah. awesome I love, I love short round he's yeah and he kind of embodies the little kids who grew up kind of watching this and wanted to be in the indian adventure you gotta live vicariously yeah. through short rounds it's cool it's, cool. it's great yeah. See, we're gonna get Dre to say it's a nine out of ten. We're gonna get you know? <laughs> <laughs> you're doing a pretty good job there. So far. I, I was talking. I was talking to Jay. Maybe you know the answer to this, uh, Dre. But if I'm not mistaken, did um, did he change his name? I, I think I thought I heard somewhere that he he had a like a stage name when he was a young kid because he it was harder for him to get work with his real Vietnamese name, and only recently he changed it back to his real name. Have you heard that as well? I have not, but I can go ahead and look it up right now. Check it out. I, I thought he did, but I thought that sure. was kind of cool that he changed it back. You know, good for him. But yeah, that, that's interesting, you know? Yeah. Well, this yeah. is going to, um, Dre, let us know when you've got an answer for that. But um, sure. I've got another question, one more question for us. And I am coming to the experts because if anybody's theme park experts, it's oh, OG55 yeah. and Mr. Bash Sky. Now, Citrus George is in here, but he's also an expert. We could get in his opinion on this. Um, but because Orange Grove 55 is also a parks channel and a phenomenal parks channel at that, we've got to talk about the Indiana Jones theme park experiences. We have Temple of the Forbidden Eye at Disneyland. We have the so Temple of, just keep note of how many temples there are here. Temple of the Forbidden Eye at Disneyland. The Stunt Spectacular at Hollywood Studios out in uh, Walt Disney World. Jock Lindsay's Hangar Bar in Disney Springs, which is a deeper cut, but an awesome deeper cut. Temple of the Crystal Skull at, D- at Tokyo Disney Sea. Uh, so another Temple of. And Temple du Peril, or Peril at Disneyland Paris. Yeah, we, we. my friend is horrible, by the way. So <laughs> you, can, you can lambast me in the comments. Um, Doris, if you're out there and you know that my friends are bad, let me know about it. Um, <laughs> what are your what are your thoughts on these attractions? Do they live up to the film catalog? Which ones do? Which ones don't? Which ones have you experienced personally? And what do you think about all of this? OG, I'll start with you and then we'll go to Dre. Yeah, I've only uh, admittedly I've only experienced one of these, the, the Indiana Jones Adventure uh, Temple of the Forbidden Eye at Disneyland. That will change though very soon. That will change very soon. Um, but I think that attraction did a textbook flawless interpretation of the Indiana Jones films and putting it into um, an attraction. I mean, between the rolling ball, the fire, the, all the snakes, you go through, like, you, you, you're kind of on, it's kind of interesting with the queue line, you're kind of on your own, like, archaeology um, expedition almost, right? You're going through these mm-hmm. little weavy little tunnels and stuff. Just a master class at how to do it right. I mean, I don't know. That ride is 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 incredible to me. It's, it really is kind of like this modern day Pirates of the Caribbean in a lot of ways. They took what like what Walt started with pirates, and just took it to the next level, and it holds up very very well today. Um, Tokyo's is very similar to ours. They have a couple of added special effects in their version, but pretty much the same attraction. Um, I haven't seen the stunt show at Hollywood Studios. I'm not like super into stunt shows, so I don't know. I'll have to kind of wait and see on that. And then the roller coaster at uh, Paris, I believe, is the minecart, right? If I'm not it is. mistaken. It is the minecart, yeah. That's kind of cool. That's kind of cool. But I don't know. I still think that the one that we have and the one that Tokyo has, it just takes everything and puts it in this. It's like this kind of like um, 
like this Indiana Jones gumbo, you know? It just got it all. It's got the boulder, the snakes, the fire, it's everything. I love it. Just like, yeah. <laughs> what do you think? What do you think, Dr. Dre? Well, it's definitely a gumbo, that is for sure. Talk about experts there, Jay. I think you are correct right there. Decoder yes. card. Gotta yes. have it. Gotta Decoder have it for card. sure. Uh, just an incredible uh, attraction and really kind of embodies the spirit of Indiana Jones in a way, man, just kind of unparalleled, you know? I mean, yeah, there are some, there have been some amazing Star Wars adventures, but, you know, getting to that, that great, um, I don't know, that mix of elements right there, I don't think it's done quite as well as it, what Indiana Jones does to harken back to its kind of uh, IP or franchise sake. So I think it's done phenomenally well. Um, and and honestly, I think Indiana Jones was the, I, we talked about this in Raiders, but you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark inspired Tony to say, hey, I think we have the next Walt Disney. He's George Lucas. We got to get this guy in the building. Started those conversations with Ron Miller. Unfortunately, those didn't quite pan out, but uh, you have Michael Eisner ushered in there shortly thereafter. That relationship was started. And from that point on, Tony Baxter's like, man, if we could if we could create an attraction that embodies the adventure of what we actually saw, the roller coaster that we actually saw, this would be phenomenal to do. And that's kind of the genesis for the Indiana Jones adventure out there in Disneyland, which I think, uh, like you said, OG, I mean, yeah, they, they do have the... Um, what is it? The the almost like the, a minecart type adventure when yeah. it comes to like the Paris version and stuff like that. And they were supposed to, if you want to share my screen real fast. Yeah, yeah, I got they you. were supposed to have that for the Indiana Jones adventure itself. You can see right here. You can mm -hmm. see like um, inversion right in the middle of there. Yeah, that's the minecar coaster that you were supposed to be on. Well, and, 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 to, and even crazier is uh, mm -hmm. on the far right. You can see the Jungle Cruise was actually going to yep. go through the show building. Yep. I mean, this this was insane what they were planning on doing with this ride. Oh yeah, and you can you can see in the kind of the center of your screen, the very top of frame right there, you can see the railroad going through as well right there. So it would have, I mean, this this was supposed to be a huge attraction, just on a scale unthinkable. And yes, even though in the engine's adventure was ultimately big, this was supposed to be even even grander. And the way they were supposed to like delineate between. The Jeep Adventure and the and the Minecar Adventure was like in the queue. You would have this kind of room that would separate the people out. And one side would get the Jeep, <laughs> one side would get the Minecar. And you would get an experience through uh, a lot of the same show scenes. And they would kind of interact and play with each other. Very, very cool stuff. I, you wish that they would have done it. But you can even see uh, some slave children right down there. Which <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's a great video. I think it was like the 20th anniversary, I want to say, or the, like the 30th anniversary. Uh, it, it should have been the 20th anniversary, right? Or something like that on this. They, they had it out in the um, uh, where Star Wars Galaxy's Edge sits today. In the old, oh, yeah. Uh, I went to that, by the way. Right, right. Okay, yeah. yeah. So the uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame kind of Festival yep. of Fools area. Yep. Right, yep. right, right. And it was a sit down with Tony Baxter, right? Right. And he yep. talks about the development of this attraction and, you know, asking guests like what they would want to see from an Indiana Jones adventure. What are the things that we can put in this gumbo, to your point, OG, mm. and add it all in there and stuff like that. Got a lot from the roll, uh, rolling boulder that obviously made it in. Spikes, bugs, all of that. Uh, and I think this is why you brought up this question at all, Jay, because Temple of Doom, uh, uh, you know, and, and maybe you can include pieces of Raiders, but Temple of Doom more than any other 
is where Imagineers really got their uh, inspiration <laughs> to include as elements in this uh, attraction right here. So we got the spikes, we got the we got the we got the bugs, we got skeletons, we got all that kind of stuff, and um, uh, and, and those are some of the comments that were actually made by guests and wanted to see. One of them did say slave children, so that they do they were depicted at least in some form <laughs> <laughs> early on. Didn't make the final cut, however, but um, it just. It's just phenomenal, uh, ph- phenomenal attraction um, as it as exists today. Mm. Uh, I actually like it more than the Tokyo version. Tokyo version does have some really cool elements, but I think the kind of fire and brimstone, the look and feel of this, um, I, I, I think they I think they really nailed it here with the 1995 version. One one missed opportunity though with this is that we didn't get the yellow raft drop ride. From the ceiling deck. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> oh, that is fantastic! Yeah. Uh, that might have been a great that's ride. That's the Indiana Jones land coming to Disney's Animal Kingdom. That's that's you know, that saving that be, one. That would be so cool. So, of these, I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what. I, I've been to, obviously Temple of Forbidden Eye at Disneyland. Obviously, um, I've been to the Stunt Spectacular Hollywood Studios. I've been to Jock Lindsay's Hangar Bar in Disney Springs. Maybe you guys will get an opportunity to go there now. I'll, I'll let me make a couple comments about it before I did do the ride vehicle, uh, the the ride watch throughs on. You can find YouTube videos of ride watch throughs. So I did watch the other two um, as well. I think that um, Jock Lindsay's hangar bar is awesome because of all the little Easter eggs inside Jock Lindsay's bar. I love I love the atmosphere. Um, there's multiple pictures of me that my wife and I have taken inside Jock Lindsay's hangar bar just because I'm such a big Indiana Jones fan and I love the era. I love the music they're playing. I love all that stuff. I have one complaint and that is I don't think that they're anywhere close to the best drinks on property. And so therefore maybe go for even the snacks or maybe not the best snacks. So it's, you're going for the ambiance. You're not going for the the food and drink there. Right. Um, so I'll give that caveat. Uh, the stunt spectacular. Um, unfortunately, I have an, an active. I won't say I actively dislike it, but it's very, it's very actively mediocre to me. And the reason for that is because all of these other things immerse you in the world of Indiana Jones. Right. The stunt spectacular essentially says, "This is how Indiana Jones stunts are done." It's not trying. It. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it takes the curtain back and. And that to me is a big miss. I would much rather watch a, uh, a an hour long Indiana Jones um, stage play. Like that would be cool to me. Like do that kind of like what you see. You might see at Knott's Berry Farm when they do the um, the cowboy show, or the, even the Water World show over at um, I guess that's at what Universal, right? Yeah. Um, so to me, I would rather see that. See a different story of Indiana Jones seen live as opposed to pulling back the curtain and being like this is how we kind of do this this and this is how you kind of reveal this and we pulled people from the audience and they're going to do this um that to me took me it takes me out of it and it just makes me go like this is not that interesting to me anymore so i I think that's a skip but temple of the forbidden eye i said this last week on the show last week because of course we had to get into it last week too um you could film a movie at the temple of the forbidden eye at disneyland like that is how, how high quality that experience is um you mentioned the queue the queue especially opening day queue um i'm so glad they brought this back but the pole that you push the bamboo pole that you push and the ceiling comes down with the spikes 
that's coming right out of the film. It's coming right out of Temple of Doom. Um, you walk in and there's somebody, there's a, there's an explorer down. You can kind of mess with his rope and he's like kind of yelling at you from down below. You're inside the temple when he's doing that. So phenomenal. And I don't think to this day, I think Rise of the Resistance comes close. Mm. But there is not another effect like the ball rolling down at you in any theme park that I've ever been to. That 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 experience alone is so I've been on this ride probably a hundred times if I if I'm not mistaken. That still brings a smile to my face anytime I step on the Indiana Jones ride. I've seen it a billion times. I've seen it not work by the way too. Uh, and that <laughs> the way that that effect is created work. is just it's just out of this world and it just you just puts a smile on your face oh it does and it, and it, and when you do it that first time it kind of scares you because you're like well how are we gonna get out of this like <laughs> it's yeah. coming right at us what's gonna happen you know yep yep it's, so, it's amazing 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 watch the floor when that happens right there and watch how the walls actually move and the interplay in light and how that all kind of goes and it is a super convincing i mean these these scenes have to be like i think like 18 seconds or less right so you have to go through them very very quickly because of your dispatch intervals and this scene is like right at 17 and a half seconds i mean it's right there and that's why it doesn't necessarily reset as well as uh, maybe some other of those sequences which is a shame but i mean just to to, to put it in perspective on how just dedicated everybody was to bringing this Indiana Jones adventure to life. There's a really great article on Disney Dose right here um, featuring an interview with uh, uh, composer Richard Bellis, and he arranged a lot of the John Williams scores uh, for uh, the actual attraction itself. <laughs> and it's kind of it's kind of crazy because in this interview, they actually detail how, uh, you know, it's like, OK, well, we have to like. Uh, you know, we, 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 we have to arrange this composition in such a way that we have to have a, 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 a like a string of cues back to back to back to back. And they kind of get you to the adventure. And every single time you enter a new room or something happens, you have a new musical cue and stuff like that. And you have to have long tails so they overlap each other for uh, certain uh, points in the ride in which they don't, you know, necessarily perfectly align. And uh, they talk about some of the technical aspects of the uh, of the actual attraction itself. Like, for example, right here, one of the most exciting musical features of the ride is that each row is equipped with five speakers used solely for music playback. This means that each rider has his or her own stereo pair because the layout of the five speakers is left channel, right channel, left channel, right channel. Uh, some people... Uh, we'll have a reverse stereo image, but hey, when you're being tossed around, who cares what side the violins are on? That's pretty cool right there. Yeah. But they talk about how they had to ride this like over and over and over <laughs> uh, to in order to get kind of like uh, a sense of, of, of what to do here. So he talks about this. Um, he says uh, he says right here, they brought like uh, notepads and stuff like that. Um, but like, you know, notepads and pencils to take down, you know, like where in which this is actually going to, going to fly, but it's like, they've never ridden on this before. So the first time, you know, everything's flying everywhere and they lose their notepad, <laughs> they lose their pencils and all this kind of stuff. But it's like, okay, this isn't actually going to work right here. 
Uh, I, uh, it says go, I confidently say as we start into the darkness. Darkness? Okay, next time we bring flashlights, we ascend the first ramp, moving closer to tomorrow, the huge godhead with smoke emanating from her eyes. Adam is taking notes and squinting at his stopwatch. Ed is waiting for the turn to the left as we pass Mara. Here it comes, Lurch! The legal pad jumps a foot off his lap, but he manages to catch it, which is the good news. The bad news is he didn't start his watch. And they're trying to time, you're trying to watch it, right? And then we get the, the cues timed out. All right, forget that one. Uh, we'll get the skeletons in the catacombs next. Get ready, go! Adam, who manages to start his watch, is frantically holding on to a stopwatch with one hand, his legal pad with the other, and able to write as we blaze through the catacombs. Remember these times, he shouts, 18 seconds, 22 seconds, 25 and a half. We, uh, we jolt to a slowdown, whew, uncontrollable laughter during which we miss the next timing. All right, let's go. Uh, let's let's get the next one. Here it comes. The vehicle suddenly stops uh, dead end. This is not supposed to happen. Oh, well, we'll chalk it this uh, first trip up to experience. Let's just go back and start and try again. 15 minutes later, we're still sitting in the middle of a suspension bridge while engineers are inspecting the track. They'd obviously done this before. They had flashlights. Uh, but, you know, they go around like 22 times or whatever trying to get this thing. And then uh, at the end there, it says... What followed, of course, was the agony of spotting a session uh, that that was uh, worth it. An 86-piece orchestra for an afternoon at Todd A.O. playing what seemed like a medley of John Williams' chase cues. I think at the end of the four-hour session, the string players felt much like we did after the spotting session. So just getting the music right for this was an adventure Crazy. and a half, right? And uh, uh, what would Indiana Jones be like without the iconic music and how that sets the tone for the actual attraction, how that ups the ante? I mean... I remember when my mom actually wrote this the first time without me because I was a little bit too short. You know, when that music started blaring, she was like, oh, my God, he's got to get he's got to get on this. And that's what ultimately compelled her to uh, eh, skirt the rules just a little bit, (laughs) you know, put the wedges in the shoes and get me on for the first time. And it is absolutely phenomenal. So it's just it's just that perfect recipe, like you said there, Jay. And I will say that, you know, the Stump Spectacular, it's had a troubled history, and I think it will be reformatted at a certain point right there. But a couple of cool facts about it. We were going to get a version of the Indiana Jones Stunt Spectacular in Disneyland originally. It was going to be on based on the young Indiana Jones adventures. Uh-huh. And uh, it, they were actually going to... They were actually going to... Um, include the railroad into it it was going to be where galaxy's edge is uh currently right now and you are going to have uh young indiana jones like run on top of <laughs> the disneyland railroad cars and have it interact in the show and stuff no like that a, a very ambitious idea that obviously got scrapped for the attraction eventually but there's a great video on youtube yeah, uh so for the people listening this far here's a little treat for you great video on youtube Featuring a Star Wars celebration at uh, Disney's Hollywood Studios for the Indiana Jones Stunt Spectacular. Um, they actually took <laughs> they took Star Wars, right? And they, like, meshed it with Indiana Jones. And they invited George Lucas to see this menagerie. And he's sitting in the audience while you have Indiana Jones fighting Darth Vader. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> uh, like, crazy. And, you have like Marion turn into Princess Leia and she's wearing the, you know, uh, what is it? Return of the Jedi bikini. You know what I'm talking about right there? And it's, it is wild. It is the craziest thing I have ever seen the theme park actually put on. 
it's it you definitely got to seek this out star wars meets indiana jones sunk spectacular it's very very fun and uh we did get some stunts of our own in adventureland for the kingdom of the crystal skull but i will get back to that when we get to that adventure yeah absolutely absolutely and dre we can still hear you but you have frozen um huh, i think we're gonna again. i think we're i think we're gonna close it out though so you want to want me to you want to just hang I'll, tight and we'll we'll close it out or you i'll wanna... do my intro right i'll do my outro right here and uh you know i'll i'll save the audience from uh having me retie in again i don't know what's going on folks i do apologize but if you guys want to go ahead and follow me you can go and do so at bash sky it's right there at the bottom of my frozen screen probably right there <laughs> and if you want to see me well it's gonna be on the channel you watch right now at orange grove 55 definitely hit that like and subscribe button thank you so much for watching and uh thank you so much for having me on jay it was a blast thank you sir absolutely we'll get you on for the next one thanks for thanks for uh dropping in dre um so og this is a this is a good movie we didn't we didn't clarify with with dre about whether we bumped him up to a nine but i'm gonna say we bumped him up to a nine and he's, I think he's we did. yeah i think we did um, i think we did absolutely yeah <laughs> yeah we got him to say something. <laughs> um but uh thanks for joining me og uh where can people find you and where can they get some of your insights both from theme parks and um all the other things that we're talking about with disney well, Jay, I just want to thank you so much for, as always, being a gracious host. Had a great time today talking Temple of Doom with you. Looking forward to what uh, next one is, uh, Last Crusade. Last Crusade. Going to be really fun. It, you know, to keep it in on theme, it's, I, that's going to be a ball, right? Like a giant ball. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know? Uh, but but again, thank you, brother. Uh, a lot, uh, you know, this is a fantastic um uh, a conversation we had today and um you can find me on twitter at orange grove 55 you can also find me here on youtube orange grove 55 and uh here you know what since uh, dre isn't here i feel obligated to drop some kind of drop uh let's see what we got here um we'll, we'll, we'll you know here we'll do this one there we go yes <laughs> yes good drop one of my favorites uh well thank you og that was an absolute pleasure talking to you today Welcome to the How Stories Work show, where I'm going to talk a little bit about Temple of Doom and what we can learn from a storytelling perspective from what we see in Temple of Doom. Now, Temple of Doom, as if you were watching uh, the rest of this show, which you can watch over on the Orange Grove 55 channel, where we do the Story Geek show and dig deeper into the material for Temple of Doom, you will know that... Um, Temple of Doom does not rank as highly for most people. It's not true of everybody. There's some Temple of Doom fans out there that like Temple of Doom the best. But it oftentimes does not rate as highly or rank as highly um, with folks comparative to Raiders of the Lost Ark and The Last Crusade. I think that there are some very distinct lessons that we can learn from that as we compare Temple of Doom to Raiders and to The Last Crusade and what those movies do maybe a little bit better to approach a wider audience. So let's talk about some of those things. But the first thing I wanna talk about is actually doubling down on a comment that I made in the last show where we talked about the storytelling secrets and lessons of the screenplay from Raiders of the Lost Ark. So I did that with Michael Gordon. And one of the things I noted on that show was how impeccably paced and how um, Steven Spielberg and his editing team and his directing team uh, and the storytelling team, including George Lucas, how they constantly ramp up the stakes and how they constantly 
drive for better pacing. And we can see that in Temple of Doom as well. And so you can tell because we're gonna start out the film. So I'm gonna use two sequences to showcase what I'm talking about. We start out the film and we go, where are we? And what exactly is going on? We're in an Indiana Jones movie, but why in the world are we in a musical number? And yet, as soon as Indiana Jones enters into that scene, the tension is in incredibly palpable. And so we have conflict. Indiana Jones wants something and the people who uh, want, and, and, and Lao Che and his goons, basically, the, the organized crime goons he's got with him, they want something from Indy and Indy wants something from them and they're going to do an exchange. But neither one of them trust each other. And this ramps up slowly over the course of time. We learn that Indiana Jones has somebody on the inside. We learn that these guys have guns. We learn that Lao Che is not going to deal with Indy in the same way that Indy was expecting. It's not going to be an easy transaction. Indy takes Willie hostage at one point in time. And then the big fight breaks out in, in terms of the whole club. And so one of the things that I think we can learn from a storytelling standpoint is similar to what I was talking about last week is that we can continually up the stakes and continually make the lead character's objective more difficult for them to accomplish. The same thing happens later in the film with, with uh, Dre talked about it on the show, on the Story Geek show, but Dre talked about the scene where we all loved it, where the spikes are coming down on Indy in short round and Willie has to come into and go through the bugs and navigate the bugs and then pull the lever so that the it will release and they can get out of the chamber and not die. And you'll notice how even in that sequence, um, Steven Spielberg is constantly upping the tension, constantly upping the stakes, and that is paced incredibly well. So from the moment that Indiana Jones and Short Round get trapped in there to the moment that they have to rely on Willie to get them out, it is this incredibly artful, artfully directed and executed sequence, ex excellently edited as well, where we see the characters constantly face a new problem. So they'll do one thing and it works out. They'll do another thing and it makes the situation worse. They'll do one thing and it works out. They'll do something else and they take two steps back and make the situation worse. That is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about conflict and talking about pacing is that the hero tries to face something Instead of winning right away, they face another challenge and then they overcome that challenge, but it presents two new challenges that may be even more difficult for them to overcome. That is fantastic storytelling and it's for sure likely to keep the audience on the edge of their seats. So I think that that works really, really well. The thing that, about Temple of Doom that I will personally say doesn't work as well for me, like, look, I love Indiana Jones. This is a nine out of 10, in my opinion. You know, 10 out of 10 for Raiders, probably a 9.75 for The Last Crusade. I take a, a, a point off um, for Temple of Doom. Primarily, I take that point off of because of some of the elements that I find um, beyond the suspension of disbelief. And so there's this concept that we know of, uh, that we all know called the suspension of, are we able, is the audience able to suspend their disbelief? Now, the interesting thing about that is that suspending disbelief, meaning, by the way, if you don't know what that means, suspending disbelief just means our ability to say, I'm willing to believe what's going on in front of me, whether I'm reading it or whether I'm watching it on screen, I'm willing to believe that what is happening on screen would happen 
in real, I could see it feasibly happening in real life, or I'm willing to go along with it at least, even though it may not happen in real life, I'm able to go along with it without be, being sucked out of the story. Because as soon as I don't believe what's going on on screen, it's harder for me to engage. What's essentially happening there is that we are placing our emotions on what we're visibly and audibly receiving. When we're not able to suspend our disbelief, it takes us emotionally out of the tension and puts us in a place of observation going, okay, that's that's ridiculous, right? And by the way, uh, cartoons use that effect all the time for comedy purposes, right? Because we don't believe that the cartoons are real and so they can hit themselves over the head with a hammer, hit somebody else over the head with a hammer, and we don't sit in our seats going, what a horrendous thing that Mickey Mouse just did. He hit someone over the head with a hammer. No, we think it's funny instead, right? So occasionally, things that would suspend our disbelief can actually be used as humor and it actually might work better than if it was used as a real life thing that's supposed to be happening. And so as I mentioned, um, We'll talk about this when we get to Kingdom of the Crystal Skull too, I imagine. But there are certain things that happen in Indiana Jones that are definitely unbelievable. Now, the question is, how much are we able to suspend our disbelief and go along for the ride? Because it would be easy for us to disbelieve and to turn off our engagement. But how, how much are the storytellers able to counteract our thought process about doing that? to keep us engaged in the film. And there are a couple places in Temple of Doom. There are no places in Raiders of the Lost Ark where that happens to me. I stay engaged throughout the entire film, um, no matter how quote unquote ridiculous it gets. I think that Raiders is a slightly more um, grounded film. I mean, saying it's a grounded film, adventure films aren't necessarily grounded, but it feels more grounded than does Temple of Doom to me. And I think a lot of people share that feeling. So like, for example, I'll give you a perfect example. When they jump out of the plane and they let the uh, raft expand, part of what goes on in my brain is there's no way that that raft falls out of the sky without tipping over and just dumping them out. So it then becomes to me a little bit suspect that that would happen. It also feels a little bit so far, so far out of the realm of possibility that it starts to feel cheesy to me. Now, are there other things they could have done to get out of that sequence? Sure, they could have jumped out of the sequence. Let's just take this for example. Let's say that they jumped out of the airplane, they threw a raft down, and they had some sort of parachute-like thing that would have caught the air and they kind of parachute down and then one of them falls into the raft and then the others have to run and jump into the raft as it's sliding down the hill. I probably could have gone along with that. Would it suspend my disbelief? It depends on how you execute that sequence, but I would have got, I would have gone along with that a little bit more than the physics of watching that raft do that thing. It takes my suspension of disbelief, it takes it away, and it's harder for me to stay in the emotions that they're trying to present to me on the screen. How far can you push the suspension of disbelief? And the first problem you have on your hands is that every audience member's suspension of disbelief is going to take place at a different, I mean, some people are gonna be okay with the raft sequence. Some people are not gonna be okay with the raft sequence. Some people are not gonna be okay with uh, anything ridiculous happening in a film. So as a storyteller, you have to be comfortable saying, I think that this is a really good thing to do, so I'm just gonna do it. Now, the tone of your movie, how serious the movie is, how ridiculous the movie is, all of that will matter into your audience's suspension of disbelief. I don't have any problem believing in a time machine 
in Back to the Future, because Back to the Future to me is a fairly ridiculous premise in film. I love Back to the Future. It is one of the other films that I would say is a 10 out of 10. But at the same time, I would say that I would also tell you that it is hard to believe that a DeLorean could time travel using plutonium. But that is not supposed to be this super serious film. So I'm able to suspend my disbelief. So the tone that you're setting matters as to whether or not I'm going to believe what's happening on screen. Temple of Doom is a little bit more ridiculous setting in its tone. And I think some of that is just maybe personal preference that I don't like. And so it's harder for me to suspend my disbelief when that happens. The second thing I think we can learn about comparing Temple of Doom to Raiders of the Lost Ark is that I think that the character of Willy, um, I think is intended to be a comedic foil for Indiana Jones. What do I mean by that? I mean, he's going to have to worry about her as much as he's worrying about the other things that unfold. Now, from a storytelling standpoint, that does one good thing. And that means that just like with Short Round, Indy now doesn't only have to worry about himself, he has to worry about someone else as well, which then increases the stakes, increases the conflict. So that part's good. I think, though, that Willie's behavior is... Um, Dre said in the show, she maintains that behavior throughout. And we can imagine that someone who falls into her persona might show up in those situations and do some of the same things that she does. So yes, that's probably true. But I do think that they take it a little bit too far in several places. And it makes me, again, it takes me out of it a little bit because I go, oh, really? That's kind of annoying again. Now, that's not going to be the same for every, every viewer. So how do you prevent a character from becoming too annoying? The best, the best option, I think, is to make that character as well-rounded as possible. So when you make a character uh, more well-rounded and we understand what their strengths and their weaknesses are, then we can kind of deal with their weaknesses knowing that we're going to see them you know, have a strength at some point as well. But if we're only seeing a caricature of a person, which means we're only seeing a character's weaknesses or we're only seeing a character's strengths, then I think we tend to um, have a harder time. It's kind of, if a character is too strong, we tend to go, man, this person wins at everything. This is ridiculous. But if a character is too weak, we can tend to go like, this character loses it. Wouldn't they learn their lesson and act a little bit differently next time? And I think for me, Willie falls too far into that side of it. We only see, in the beginning, we see some of her strengths. She's a really great performer every other period of the show, we're only seeing the weaknesses of Willie. And sometimes those weaknesses net out in kind of this ridiculous cartoonish action where good things happen. And sometimes it's, um, it's causing problems for everybody involved in the film. Um, the last thing I would think that we can learn from Temple of Doom, and we touched on it a little bit, and I was just listening to a podcast with um, uh, a script apart podcast, which I highly recommend. Script Apart is a really great podcast. I think it was um, David Knope or David Knope, I don't know how to pronounce his name, the writer of uh, Jurassic Park and the writer of Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, actually. And writer, so Jurassic Park, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, one of the best movies ever, one of the most, one of the movies that people say is actually disappointing. And what he said was, sometimes audiences won't care about the information that you don't provide and they'll just ignore it. So for example, he gave an example where he was talking about in Jurassic Park, there's the last scene where the banner falls over the T-Rex. 
And he said, well, we've got to explain how the T-Rex got inside, right? And uh, Steven Spielberg said, no, the audience will not care how this, how this T-Rex got inside. And he goes, no, they will care. And he goes, no, they'll just see a T-Rex inside, and that will be their, their core focus will be on that, not how the T-Rex got inside the building. And um, I think that that is a good lesson to be learned for when we talked about Temple of Doom and not understanding what the Sankara stones really were or how they were going to affect the world. Um, ultimately, does that really matter in this story? I don't think that it does. I don't think that it does. I think that in this story, what we really need to know is that Molaram is a bad guy. He's going to use the stones to do something nefarious. He's already doing something nefarious by having the, the child slaves working the mines, trying to find the other Sankara stones. And, and thus, we don't need to go into this long expositionary scene about what the Sankara stones do and what the power they have. We don't ever really know that. And I think that that's okay because as um, Steven Spielberg was saying in Jurassic Park, sometimes what's on screen is compelling enough. If we know that Molaram is pulling the hearts out of people and we know that he's enslaving kids to work in his minds – we can say this person needs to be stopped regardless of what he intends to do with the Sankara Stones. Now, we know what he intends to do because he tells Indy that in, in the one scene, but it's not built up like it is in Raiders of the Lost Ark where they say this is the Ark of the Covenant, this is what it's capable of, and this is why the Germans might want to capture that and use it nefariously. We don't get that as much of an explanation in Temple of Doom, nor do I think we really need it. So that, so that's something, too, where the exposition isn't necessary because there's enough being shown to us about Molaram and the thuggy cult that we can go, well, these are bad people and they should be stopped. So I think that's another really cool lesson to learn there as well. The other thing that, that I really um, noticed this time watching Temple of Doom is that despite the fact that it's a much sillier film, in my opinion, than Raiders, and therefore does lose me a bit. Again, I love it. So it's a it's you know it's a nine out of ten for me. But it's, but Raiders is a ten out of ten. Is that Indiana Jones as a character maintains he does he rarely gets silly, if ever, in that film. And so he maintains the same type of character we saw in Raiders as he, he is in Temple of Doom as well. And I think that goes a long way for us to, to like what we see on film and go with it as opposed to breaking out of the film, having a suspension of disbelief. If suddenly Indiana Jones himself was acting really silly and doing some really dumb jokes, then we might have to suspend our disbelief on his character at that point in time. But he doesn't do that. Harrison Ford plays it very straight the whole way through and doesn't get silly with it. Even with his relationship with Short Round, he's treating Short Round as like, yeah, of course you can drive a car really well. Of course that we can make it through this next situation. Of course this is possible for us to do. And if at any time he started to act silly and it started to be – uh, and if Harrison Ford portrayed it as being a silly thing, then I think that would take all of the audience and we'd all go, oh, this is just a silly movie then? This is a comedy of some kind? But Harrison Ford doesn't do that, nor does it seem like it's written that way, and therefore he can he can move forward with the performance that we get. And the audience, I think, you and I can say, that's really cool, and I can go along with it because he's not breaking character. So there you go. Those are some storytelling things that I think that we can learn from watching Temple of Doom. Let me know what you think 
we could learn in the comments down below. Uh, be sure to subscribe to How Stories Work with Jay Shear, both the YouTube channel and the podcast. And check out the Story Geeks podcast or the Story Geeks show over on Orange Grove 55's YouTube channel. Um, as you know, too, you might have you might have heard we are doing a short film this year. You can fund help us fund that short film and learn about the cool benefits we have for people who support the short film. It is a superhero thriller, a low budget superhero thriller focused around guilt and shame. I think it's a really powerful um, message, and I would love to have you help us make that film. So check out the links below and uh, you can learn more about No Vacancy, our short film that we're filming later this year. And I've got some really cool things to announce pretty soon about how we're progressing with that film. So we've, I've had some really great conversations this week. Just haven't had time to update everybody on them. Thanks for watching. Leave me your comments down below and I will see you on the next show.